Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined once again by Media Evil's original co-host, Ollie Brady, to talk about the 2016 film Assassin's Creed. So, Ollie, welcome. Wait, sorry, wait. What are we talking about? The movie, Assassin's Creed. There's, there's a movie? Yeah, you know, there were the games and then they made a movie of it. We weren't supposed to play the game? I don't have time to play a video game. <laughs> it was 55 hours of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's why we didn't do 55 it. 55 hours. <laughs> I'm not... So anyway, uh, dear listeners, uh, we're going to take a break and we'll join you back in... How long is the movie, Sarah? About two hours. Okay, we'll be back in about two hours when I go and watch this movie. (laughs) Enjoy. And we're back. Yeah, I chose this movie, Sarah, because I'm a huge fan (laughs) of both Assassins and Creeds. Creeds are great. Assassins, Assassins also cool. Then there's this movie. Yeah, I I feel like we may we may be disagreeing at various points during this. Podcast. We might we might be disagreeing. So Assassin's Creed, the movie, which came out in twenty sixteen, stars and not the game, which is a worthwhile fifty five hours of goddamn time, sir. For those with fifty five hours to spare, I'm sure I had at most two hours to spare, and I spent them on this movie, which stars Michael Fassbender. Himself. Ireland's own. Yep. Which is why he is playing the very American Cal Lynch <laughs> slash the Spanish man. Uh, I'm going to assume Castilian man, I suppose. Uh, Aguilar de Nerja. Wait, how do you pronounce that? Aguilar de Nerja. Oh, because I've been calling them like the movie does, Aguilar. Yeah, I'm not doing that. It's it's like the first time it popped up, and I watched this movie recently. You may have heard um, with uh, with the subtitles on, and it popped up Aguilar, and I was there going, "Oh, this is like they'll make some attempt at pronouncing it correctly," um, but nope, nope, Aguilar, I and like really guttural, harsh version with the hard G, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever, especially when the other Spanish speaking characters call him right, that. right. It's, uh, yeah, it's a choice. There are a lot of choices made in this film. Um, excellent choices. Yes. Another choice is as uh, so Marion Cotillard is in this movie as Dr. Sophia Reichen. Marion Cotillard's haircut? What was anybody thinking? Uh, kind of loved it. I think this might be the best. Are you serious? I hate that haircut so much. She looks like she's a bowl cut. It, it makes her look like a very sexy scientist. And as a very sexy scientist, I, I just, I, I, I just felt a connection between myself and Marion. Okay, Jeremy Irons is also a very sexy scientist. As her father, Alan Reichen. He's not really a scientist. He's more of a Templar first. He's a Templar first, a scientist second. You know, I mean, but there scientist and where there, she is a scientist first. But as we'll get into, she's the kind of scientist who thinks the Bible is literally true, like all scientists. <laughs> Yes, like all of us. Um, I do think it's, we were just talking beforehand about um, the casting choices for parents and daughters. I I would love to see 
the lady that managed to produce Marion Cotillard or Cotty, Cotty, Cottyard with Jeremy Irons because what where where did those genetics come from because they didn't come from Jeremy Irons I can tell you that for a fact I mean this movie also presumes that Michael Fassbender is the child of Brendan Gleeson and Essie Davis which mm-hmm. does not make sense nor does it make sense really that at some point you're claiming that this family is Castilian Spanish he's the last of the line Sarah I mean, yeah, so I guess the line has been has been diluted uh, over the years. It's been diluted a lot by very pale white Irish people. Apparently. And now Americans, since they're American now, I guess. Sort of? I don't know. Yeah. Well, well, Fassbender's attempting his American accent. Yes. Which just means he flattens out anything that sounds like character in his voice. Yeah. You know, as you do. That's it. I mean, that's pretty much America. <laughs> you take character and culture and then just replace it with racism oh my god Sarah, <laughs> don't be so harsh on your chosen people but i'm like chosen people i didn't choose to be american <laughs> it's like my grandparents chosen people this movie also stars charlotte rampling as templar elder ellen k and michael k williams as musa who I wish he'd been in this movie more because he's the best looking person in this movie. He also has, that dude has the best voice. He does. Like, it's just, it's like melted butter. Like, (laughs) what does he call him at the beginning? Um, Oh, no, he calls him like Prophet or something like this. And just he's a Prophet. And it's just the way he says it, so deep and just like dropped in. And then, then he says, I'm a 200 year old voodoo uh poisoner you're like oh good choice movie i mean i would watch that movie about michael yeah, I mean, I would, and definitely. the voodoo poisoner in the in the 19th century or whatever all i can say is at least they didn't try to make him speak with some sort of patois oh yeah thank god like because that would have been one of the worst choices the movie could have made it made a lot of choices. It didn't make that one, at least. Excellent choices. Baffling choices. Sarah, <clears throat> I feel like we've gone through the cast list and now we should, you know, recap what happens. Now, for the, for the listeners at home, um, I'm obviously going to sing Enumeratio in a second. That's not what I'm getting at. Uh, Sarah's written seven pages of notes for this movie. And if anyone's... Watch the movie, you're thinking to yourself, how how are there seven pages of notes? Because I just watched the movie and I'm thinking, how are there seven pages of notes for this movie? It deserves But we're going to find out in the, in the enumeratio. I've not gotten any better. My mom's going to be so happy. Well, I love making your mom happy because she's a lovely lady. For centuries, the Order of the Knights Templar have searched for the mythical Apple of Eden. They believe it contains not only the seeds of man's first disobedience, but the key to free will itself. If they find the relic and decode its secrets, they have the power to control all freedom of thought. Only the Brotherhood called the Assassins stands in their way. In fairness, that's a catchy opening. So that is the opening crawl. I want to know more. I'm 
I want to know more. I'm all, you know, already a little like confused about a couple of things. Oh, what? What's confusing you, sir? Uh, I'm confused about A, why the Apple of Eden is a mind control device, and B, why they think it's still floating around, because if you read the Bible, the point is that they ate it. Well, as somebody who has uh, invested 55 hours of his life into playing the video game, um, there was a race of people who existed before humans Mm. um, called the Ayos, and they had great technologies and one of the great technologies was the ability to control lesser beings like humans and what happened was that adam and eve stole a part of that technology which was the 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 apple and religion is just a version of that story that's been doctored to cut out the aliens the eos as they were called some people would call them aliens there I myself might just call them grandfather or, or great grandfather. You know, I, I could be I could be one of those races. Ancient aliens. Technologically <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, it was ancient aliens. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing that makes sense. I'm also wondering a little bit about what the Templars are doing here. The Templars, an order that was formally disbanded in the fourteenth century. But I guess we'll we'll discuss that as we keep going. Because in Andalusia in 1492, the Inquisition has finally delivered Spain to the Templars, a sentence that I cannot say with a straight face. I, I'm looking at the notes that Sarah has written for this, and I can tell that she was a combination of laughing to herself while she wrote them, and I'm going to guess angry. A little angry. A little um, angry. That's why there's, there's seven pages there's of definitely notes. some. <laughs> There's definitely some anger coming through in this. Um, so apparently Sarah has some issue with the Templar still being around in 1492. But I have a much more pressing thing that pops into my head, right? So once the year 1492 pops up on your screen mm-hmm. in a movie, in anything, Sarah, what's the first thing that pops into your head? I mean, I think of the expulsion of the Jews from Spain. Listeners, <laughs> what's the first thing that pops into your head when you hear... The year fourteen. Yeah, yeah, and Columbus. If your is not Columbus. It's Columbus. I know most people think it's Columbus. <laughs> so the expulsion of the Jews. Um, it's all. We just we'll we'll get to that in a second. This must have happened just afterwards because I don't think we have any of your actual chosen people in this movie. But they should have been in fourteen ninety two. And I'm like, I was thinking to myself, that does they have to be using this year for a reason, and. Dear listeners, I was not disappointed. We we get a Columbus sighting near the end of this movie. I was it disappointed. Was, I was so excited. I know you were disappointed. <laughs> I was I was so excited. I was like, oh, it's our boy, our murderous rapist boy. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I was well, I was disappointed both by the absence of Jews or references to the expulsion of the Jews from Spain and also to the include by the inclusion of Columbus. But we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, he put, he pops in at the end. Um, I imagine you were also most angry because they were still talking about the Templars. Yes, and saying that they're the same as the Inquisition, basically? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I really struggled. I really struggled watching this movie. <laughs> Guys, I don't think I've ever seen Sarah this this combination of baffled and angry. <laughs> I'm so angry. 
I'm adding a point onto my score <laughs> for the end of the movie. So we learn that uh, the Inquisition is about to deliver Spain to the Templars. However, Sultan Muhammad, I don't know what religion he is technically, because they have never said it in this entirety of this film, is still holding out in Granada. In Granada. We also meet our assassins. We meet Aguilar and his partner, Maria, who are working to defend Spain against Templar tyranny by protecting the apple. The apple. La manzana. La manzana es todo. <laughs> they actually do say that line in Spanish, and I do just want, I do they, just want to get to say it. La manzana es todo. As, as I was watching it, I was saying to myself, um, going to have to do a podcast with Sarah. She's going to put on all these wacky accents. And... <laughs> Because later on it's Arabic as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was the Spanish good? Um, it was okay. I would say the... Yeah, it was, it was fine. I didn't catch every little bit of it, but what I caught seemed fine. Um, yeah. Well, you've been in Spain with me, so you know my Spanish amounts to absolutely nothing, basically. And even the little bits that I think I know, I'm wrong. So I was listening. I was going, yeah, I can recognize some of these words. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to know that at least they were getting it close to correct. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fine. It was acceptable. <laughs> Sarah just does not want to give any praise to this movie. We also hear the vow of the assassins. Which includes that where other men are limited by morality or law, remember everything is permitted. So these are supposed to be the heroes. They are the heroes, Sarah. They're the assassins. I'm not sure I'm on board with the premise. The premise is that the Templar Knights, the Catholic Church in some way. Okay, are... the Templar Knights were destroyed by the Catholic Church. Sarah, I'm not the people making this poofy, okay? I understand this. We've discussed this before, right? But the Templars represent organized religion, and the Assassins represent the freedom of people to say to religion, go F yourself. And effectively, they're the good guys because they're fighting against the, the controlling of people by, you know, the opium of the masses, the, the religious experience. But what I don't like about this phrasing is that it's implying that morality is equivalent to religion, which I think is an inherently problematic framing because I, an atheist, still have morality. It might not be the same morality precisely as uh, somebody who is an adherent to organized religion and thinks that morality is hating gay people. But I know that's not true of all people who are practitioners of various organized religions, you know, don't at me, whatever. But Sarah, did you just did you just hashtag not all practitioners yes. who organize religion? Yes. Please don't do that. <laughs> we can we can lump them all together. No, I mean I, I as I said, I know not everybody hates gay people because they think God told them to, despite the fact that if you actually read the Bible, God thinks it's worse to light a fire on the Sabbath than it is to be gay. But anyway. Sarah, wait, just a quick question. Did you did you read the Bible or did you just stop about halfway through before you got to the good parts? A, I have read the parts that you're referring to. And B, it would actually be more like parts. three quarters of the way through because uh, the New Testament is a mere fraction. It actually, I think, might be less than three quarters. Uh, 
shoot, I I was going to grab a Bible and check, but I don't have with me here a Bible that includes you, that you were worried. You were worried about scorching your hands, obviously. <laughs> yeah, here I only, uh, at home, I only have my Bibles that include uh, the original part of the Bible, not the part that includes the, uh, the Christian fan fiction add-ons. No, you mean, like, there's a reason why certain parts of the Bible are referred to as the good book. And it's because they're the good parts. Anyway, let's move on. So we're now in Mexico, where Teen Cal, um, so he's, how, how old would you say he is at this stage? Okay, so I think this child looks like he is at most 11, maybe 12. Yeah, he he looks like, he looks about that to me. He's got a weird curly haired haircut that no child over the age of about 13 keeps because they go, oh no, it's like bad. And uh, and he's he's out riding his BMX bike across the top of a building, and then he wipes out. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty damn good because I I assumed like obviously it's young Cal, like it's obviously going right. to be the person who grows up to be our main hero, and I thought like they were going to show him doing these cool tricks and stunts and stuff. Nope, he just falls <laughs> just, off. Just his wipes bike the fuck out, trying to make a jump, <laughs> and then he goes back to his house, and uh, his dad's killed his mom. Yep. As you do. So we're not doing great on the If Decker test so far. Not so far. But she's not even named. So, like, I mean, as far as the If Decker test is concerned, like, she was fair game. Yeah, she's just a wash, so. (laughs) She's just there. She's grand. So she gets murdered by the dad. And the dad, like, says something along, like, you you know one of those lines that shows up in a movie where you're like, oh, there's going to be more backstory to this, and I'm going to have to pay attention to what this backstory is. Because the dad stands and, like, kind of looks over his shoulder. It's like, Cal, they found us. Run. And you're like, oh. Yep. And we see the yeah. Templars approaching. And I will say, credit where credit is due. We know the temp- that it's the Templars because we can tell by the Templar cross, which, unlike some films, they did correctly. They did. They're not upside down. No, they are correctly an equal armed cross. Yeah, it's a, it's a very nice Templar yes. cross too. Yes. Okay, so I have another. I have a lot of problems with the casting of Teen Cal. The first problem is that although Teen Cal, unlike adult Michael Fassbender, looks like he could plausibly be the child of Brendan Gleeson and Essie Davis, he does not look like he could plausibly grow up to be Michael Fassbender. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't... I'm trying to think who he looks like. And the the only way I could come to describe it is he looks like he could be one of the kids from Home Improvement. And okay. none of the kids from Home Improvement are growing up to be Michael Fassbender. Exactly. has a very particularly shaped head. Right. Cal is now in Texas and about to be executed for murder, as you do in Texas. I, I have a question about this right now obviously we don't have the death penalty over here and haven't had it for a long time but i am under the impression that it's not that easy to get executed for murder like yes that is correct (laughs) yeah so even in texas for him to be getting executed for murder means that one it must have been like a pretty bad crime Mm -hmm. and two they've gone through every possible way of you know stopping it and staying it and 
asking for you know you know parlay or whatever it is they want to call it um you know or trying to get them to to drop it to a lesser sentence so for him to be at the point where he's about to be executed and this is like the morning of his execution you've got to assume it was a pretty bad crime you carried. it must have been i would believe both quite brutal and also uh, premeditated and the other thing is that he as you were saying, must have really been in prison for a while because most death row cases, I believe, go through multiple appeals. Yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. Yeah. They go through tons of... So he's been in that prison for... Right. Like, we're saying minimum minimum five years. Like, nobody's oh, yeah. getting executed two years after they get convicted. Oh, like yeah. And even if he's... Long period, and even if so. he's broke, I think death row, death row cases are absolutely the kind of cases that you get pro bono lawyers working on that. Yeah. I think my dad actually at some point was like, uh, was like consulting pro bono on a death row case. <laughs> I thought, I thought you were about to say, I think my dad, some stage in the 70s was, you know, he was on <laughs> death row. My dad was on death row. <laughs> if anybody has met my dad, you will know that is not likely. Dickie Greenfield? No, he's the nicest man in the world. Ift. He's ift. I know, but it's just so much funnier <laughs> to say. Because Dickie Greenfield sounds like he's... like He sounds like a character in The Talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> like, that's, that's what Dickie Greenfield sounds like. And in fairness, could be a character if he was on death row. <laughs> because pretty much everybody in that, in that book <laughs> at some stage should be end up in death row. But anyway... um. Yeah, so he's about to be executed. He is executed, so he's like his. But is also, he? His his last words are, "Tell my father I'll see him in hell." Right? Who is that for? Right. Like, so you're saying this to the random assortment of solicitors and um, guards and medical practitioners. There, none of them know who your dad is. None of them saw the little clip from two minutes ago. Like say like say something that's much more relevant or you know anything that doesn't reference something specifically that only people watching the movie could know what you're talking so about. i at first assumed because of that line that he must have killed his father that's what i thought as well yeah because that would make at it some make stage, sense he hunted down found his dad and murdered yeah and that especially if he, like, but, brutally tortured him because he, you know, wanted to punish him for what he did, blah, blah, blah. Then I could actually see it kind of making sense that he was on death row as things go. As opposed to the little yeah. we find out later where I find it suspicious. Oh, well, we'll, we'll get to why he was killed yes. later. Or why he was on death row later. Yes. Because it's ridiculous. Yes. He sees his life flash before his eyes, or at least the parts of his life that have already been in this movie, mostly, because he didn't want to film we, any we, additional footage. We, his life flashes before his eyes, which consists of his mom hugging him as a child, his mom getting murdered, and then him about to be getting yep. executed. <laughs> like, literally nothing else happens in between. As it, God forbid they have more footage, you know, they don't have the budget for that. And he wakes mm-hmm. up in the whitest room ever. To see Marion Cotillard. Yeah, that's. I think the room's beautiful. Um, I I know it's one of those. I know this is like a psychopath test, where they're like, "Oh, if you saw this room or this room, which one would you want to be in, or whatever?" And apparently, psychopaths say the white one. But I think an all-white room 
if everything is just perfectly white i, I think it's beautiful i think you're a psychopath <laughs> i think that room was creepy as fuck i just, I, I just kind of liked it it's just like clean design like people say psychopath and i say you know if ikea were selling this that's what my kitchen would look like that room is horrifying i think that room is the scariest place i can imagine an oven just built into the wall you know just little touch panels that come out in their drawers and stuff like that it's just beautiful they're probably meant to torture people stick it listen what you choose to keep in your perfectly white it's not a psychopath room it's just a room (laughs) sometimes psychopaths have one like that mostly psychopaths have one like that Severian Cotillard informs him that he is now... And she is she is looking good. I mean, I'm, I'm still a no on her bull cut, but... I mean, she's she's a lovely woman. I just say... I think I think she looks better with her, with, with her curls. I'm I'm not sure she is a lovely woman. Um, I've been trying really hard not to make uh, jet fuel doesn't melt steel Templar <laughs> crosses jokes this entire time, but you I mean she she is like a, oh really a nine eleven traitor oh yeah hundred <gasps> percent oh fuck really oh yeah, damn yeah. she's 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 full Mark Ruffalo oh damn okay so yeah. she probably basically thinks that this is like a documentary right that's what I was going to say like as far as she was concerned she was just telling the world <laughs> the truth the Templars <laughs> are lizard people <laughs> and are bent on mind control. She informs him that he is in Madrid at the Abstergo Foundation and that he is legally dead. And uh, so that this organization is dedicated to the improvement of humankind through the complete eradication of violence. He's not that excited about this whole situation and kind of runs off and at some point looks like he might jump out a window and gets shot with a train gun. Oh, well. This is, see, this, this is a weird thing. He, he goes for a run. Uh... Where? Where where are you running to? Like also you're coming Away. out and there's tons of other people wearing wearing the same uniform he is or the same medical robes he is. And then there are guards and then there are clearly medical professionals there. And he his his solution is just to run. Just run. I'm running. Where are you running? At one point he climbs upstairs and goes across. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm running anywhere and I think it might be on the ground floor. I'm not going to climb a floor. Like, what? Like, why? What possible reason do you have to go upstairs here, Michael? Fast. I mean, you can say this keep from your your 55 hours of your life that you spent playing the video game. I. Yeah, it so. actually feels very video game like, in terms that you just kind of run wherever you happen to have an opening and sort of aimlessly because you've never played before because you know you're only on the first of your 55 hours. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, you just keep running. That's what the game is. Like, murder somebody and run. Yeah. Just kind of um, like that. But what really weirds me out about this scene is he gets up, he's standing on a balcony like he's about to jump off, which becomes, like, something that happens multiple times throughout his historical leanings as we go along. Um, And he's just kind of standing there, about to jump off, and then he gets shot in the neck with a tranquilizer. And then their next plan is, right, strap him into the machine. Yes. As you do. What? Why? How? Don't, don't do that. We have to strap him like, into the machine do, so he can relive his yeah. ancestors' memories. Have But the thing about this is, it makes sense why when we get to Jeremy Irons' um, 
his motivation later on is that he's told the elders and there always has to be elders so he's told the elders Shattered he's going to have elders. it in like four days or whatever mm-hmm. right but Marion Cotillard doesn't know that at this point no so why does she allow it to happen why is she okay with well, I thought it? Oh, she wasn't into the okay. I thought she was sort of annoyed about it she w- but she didn't seem too put off by it for the very first one she's yeah. put off by it for the second one and she's like she's definitely dead against she it she seemed annoyed that they but tranked him because she, she was annoyed tranked yeah. she's like I've got this yeah and I don't think she had got right. it right I think she was just overestimating how much she had right but yeah so essentially the premise of this movie is that there's this machine called the animus that they put you in and that allows you through genetics in quote marks to relive the memories of your ancestor and i think it would have been hilarious if like they'd put somebody in the machine and he's just like you know some like peasant hoeing fields in 1492 but they don't do that just watching Watching it in the background. Oh, look, there's look at all those big, high, important people. Better get back to my home. Yeah. Is, this con- is this Conquest of Granada still going on? I really need to till this field. Oh, this is the absolute worst. But you know what? At least we're going to get rid of those nosy, noisy neighbors in the next couple of months. Right. So... He has his first visit, visit back to the past, his Aguilar. And by the way, uh, Aguila means eagle in Spanish, which I assume is why you keep seeing an eagle that is never explained every time he goes back into the past. Well, well that's for those of you who have uh, spent 55 hours of your life playing a video game. Uh, you can get a thing called Eagle Vision, which is a skill of the assassins to be able to use a bird to, you know, fly in and scout out the region for mm. them. That also makes sense mm. for, for those of you who have spent 55 hours playing the video game, which I didn't. Thanks again, sir. You're very welcome. You. I glad I hope you enjoyed that 55 hours. Actually, be honest with you, it was pretty good. Um, but uh, I do have an issue with the eagle. And it's that CGI, even in 2016 when this was made, is not good enough to do this sort of oh, stuff. No. It's this. It's absolutely the fakest thing in the movie. It Every looks like time a video that game. shows up to go for a fly, it looks like a video game. It looks shocking, uh, and they put like a a crazy fog over everything. I think you mentioned it. Yes, it looks like London in the Industrial Revolution, not Grand, not Andalusia in the 15th century. Yeah, it it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense for it to be this dusty and foggy. No, and yet it is. So, like, and again, like I've been in Andalusia, like modern Andalusia. When we do have motorways driving through it, and even on the worst days, it doesn't get no. anywhere near as as blurry as this. Like it's a like stupid, as stupidly beautiful as Spain is, the skies are almost always clear. Yeah, which is a massive problem when you're as bold as I am, <laughs> because sunburn is 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 only a second away if you're not paying attention this is why i get um, very tan when i go to spain and then it go back to and then immediately lose it when i go back to america and return to never being outside because i'm an academic yeah that's true sarah i mean as we can see from our two camera pictures here we're both as pale as each other <laughs> i mean i hey that's why i tan as opposed to burn in uh in in spain yeah, whatever, sallow skin. <laughs> Kick you out of my country. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back into the past, and what the Animus does is it allows you to basically live 
the live the events of your ancestor's life right yes um in the video game it allows you to take control of your ancestor and actually maybe possibly change the history a little oh, bit oh here it explicitly says you can't yes so because it's a video game you have to be doing something you're not just watching a, a very long extended right. cutscene so you have to take over and control them but in this like because we're always watching Michael Fassbender doing Michael Fassbender stuff we like we're not controlling anything so I think they've slightly changed it so that you can't change anything that happens but you can learn from it or you can pick up information and right. that's what they're doing because they want to find this apple even though we don't technically know that that's what they're looking for at this point because Marion Cotillard hasn't explained it to him but we're going back to this Aguilar and we're going to see him trying to save a little boy from like some scumbags yeah so it's the it's the prince of Granada Ahmed and uh, so he uh, has been uh, captured by Ojeda, who is this uh, kind of thuggish enforcer sort of guy. He's presented as being Torquemada's, uh, Torquemada's the Grand Inquisitor, and he's presented as basically Torquemada's enforcer. And the their plan, the Inquisition slash Templars, God, I can't, I hate saying this. Their plan <laughs> is to use the kid to pressure his father, who is the Sultan of Granada, to surrender the kingdom and slash city and thus bring Spain under one Templar rule. Is yeah, a sentence. So they're doing it for the good of Spain and its people. Or so, you know, David, have you believe? They, Aguilar and his, uh, uh, his companion, Maria, and I think there's a couple of others, they kill a bunch of people. Uh, they have essentially like a medieval car chase, and it looks very briefly like they've sort of maybe recovered the boy, but they kind of topple off a cliff and uh, end up all being captured by Ojeda. I, I, I only just watched this, and I still don't understand why the end of that chase ends the way it does because there's an exciting action scene there's, there's some good battles and I, I genuinely enjoy the action in this movie yeah. and then this this car chase involves the little boy is inside a cage and um Fassbender gets onto the horse Maria knocks the leading horses off so that the um, right. the cart is going on its own and is about to go off a cliff, so that's what leads to Michael Fassbender getting caught because he jumps off and fires, you know, a, a hook back to stop him from falling off the cliff. But if she didn't unhook the cart, they could have just ridden away. Yes, I assume. So yeah, so that what I'm getting is so why why does she unhook I, the I cart? Don't know. Like I just don't know. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, it ends up they get, uh, get caught we don't get to see what happens I assumed they were just going to cut the rope and he was going to fall but no because Marion Cotillard pulls him out before he has a fit effectively yes and Sophia discusses things with her father we get to hang out with Jeremy Irons and they are very excited that they now have confirmation that Lynch is indeed the last direct descendant of Aguilar and basically discuss whether, like, strategically they should be nice to him or not. Yeah, it's... This is a weird thing. Um, he's talking to Marion Cotillard, who's invented this animus. 
right, as part of the Abstrago program or whatever it happens to be called, okay? So, and he's, he's, he compares her to Rutherford splitting the atom uh, in, I think he says 1916, 1917, whichever year he says, uh, which one is not what happened in that experiment. Like it's, uh, splitting the atom implies that you, you take an atom and you split it. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened in that experiment was Rutherford uh, great scientist that he was, was was just firing alpha particles at nitrogen gas to see what happened mm-hmm. and he caused transmutation for the first time where one of the alpha particles was absorbed by a nitrogen and then split to produce an oxygen okay. and hydrogen okay and then that was the first discovery of the proton effectively because he said that you know you can get a hydrogen atom out of thing but it took right. another 10 years for somebody to prove that he was correct right mm-hmm. um, I think it was Berkeley Berkeley Bradford. Um, but my point there is like, first of all, for him to, to name drop that is weird um, because then he jumps to 1953 and he's like, Watson and Crick uh, discovering the DNA helix, right? Number mm-hmm. one, like, let's give Rosalind Franklin her due. I mean, this movie is stealth about men taking credit for things that women do. So Oh, it, it 100% is, right? But it's just the idea that you would jump everything in between for those two completely non-connected like i get even if you want to make that we're looking at genetic code okay that makes sense what's in a crick gets brought up what has rutherford's experiment got anything to do with the animus or anything like this here like surely you could have taken any of the other incredible electrical achievements that have been achieved since that point and link that with watson and crick but then he says and now my daughter and I'm sitting there going, what your daughter has achieved, irrespective of finding a goddamn apple somewhere, is science that the greatest minds in history would never have even yes. dreamt of. Rutherford would have been sitting looking at this lady and going, my God, I can see the face of God in this Right, person. like who gives a shit about the stupid apple? This person has found a way for us to like relive the memories of our ancestors memories through of genetics. Ancestors? Like, awesome. This is, this is, it's actually, like it's genuinely amazing. And then he's acting like, why oh, we get this apple, this, this God apple and my daughter has done everything. You're like, she's already done yes. everything. She's effectively reached that Arthur C. Clarke thing where I think it was him who said that if you reach a, a science so advanced that it it's indistinguishable from magic, right? right? Like, that's what she is. Like, this is magic, yes. her science yes. is. And her dad is just like, yeah, but I mean, once you get that apple. Good job. Good, good job, honey. Yeah, well done. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's so bizarre. But just to, to name drop those two things, which are not connected to each other at all, slightly inaccurate description <laughs> of one of them. And then jump to her like even like in like, i don't understand how he seems to imply that watson and crick to then marion cottonard like are we we're ignoring everything that's gone in right. between like nothing not, else nothing, happened not another useful has been done in the last 65 nope. years of of science but hey at least we can do the animus now thank god anyway it's just it's bizarre to me that this is what they're choosing to do there's a lot of bizarre things about this movie it's an excellent choice Lisa. So Jeremy Irons, uh, I, uh, Reagan Sr., then has this conversation with Charlotte Rampling's character, this Templar elder. 
First of all, they are sitting before a painting of the Inquisition and are basically like, ah, the good old days. And also I'm going to talk about this painting later because there are some adjustments that are made in the film to reality. Um, but I, I'll get to that when I get to that. But they're talking in front of this painting and Ellen tells, uh, what's, God, is his name Alan? Okay, so Kay tells Raiken, yes. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing Ellen and Alan. Kay tells Raiken that... Basically, oh, now everybody cares more about comfort than civil right, cares more about their comfort than about their rights. And so we don't really need the apple because people are easily manipulated enough already as it is. Yeah. And that they're going to take away funding. She also feels the need inexplicably to comment on his daughter's physical appearance. Like she's like, she's like, oh, and your beautiful daughter. I'm like, why are you talking about what she looks like? Why is that relevant here? Yeah, it's such a it's a weird it's thing. Creepy, like, right? I don't. Yeah, it doesn't even seem to make much sense either. Because it's just like, okay, she foxy. Why is this old lady saying this to him? Right, and I mean, like honestly, I was like, is is she supposed to be like hitting on her? Like, what is happening? Yeah, it it, it does feel predatory, yeah. and then later on. There's like there's another moment where you're like she definitely like I'm like what she's are she's scoping on this girl like, like what are they doing okay so it's weird. <laughs> uh, Cal meanwhile starts hallucinating Aguilar and Sofia offers to help him control things. He basically just tries to beat her up instead. Which as much as I don't love violence against women in this particular situation, I can't totally blame him because she basically like kidnapped him and then put him through an obviously traumatic experience it's also it's a weirdly like he grabs her by the throat yeah and gently maneuvers her back to the wall because he's definitely not pushing her <laughs> oh, against no. the wall right it's like a jet because there's no impact between her and the wall and he's got his hand on her throat and then she she like tells the guards who are obviously watching to stand down she's got this or whatever mm-hmm. and then asks him like why the aggression like well, because he wakes up, wakes up from being meant to have been put down, effectively. Yeah. Uh, gets tranquilized, then gets put into a machine which allows him to live in the past of his ancestors, and then a woman, the, the lady who's basically perpetrated all this, just walks in and no explanation, and he's like, "Oh, well, why are you aggressive to me? Oh, because I'm an aggressive person." No, you're perfectly justified in this situation any normal person would be aggressive and also okay have they still not fed this man yeah like i think his last meal before he got executed was probably like at this point still the last thing he's eaten and so then he's like i'm hungry and then instead of feeding him she takes him to go see the like creepy cereal board cereal killer board that they've set up about him and his family history yeah, well, she she tells him all about, um, oh, yo, we we've we I know everything about you, right? And then creepy. at one point she mentions, so including your M A O A gene uh, mutations, right? So that's that's a real thing. That's a, that is a gene that oh, okay. the humans have, and it controls your release of serotonin, mm-hmm. right? And if you have a certain mutation to the gene you can't release serotonin. Serotonin, obviously, is your body's natural relaxant, yeah. right? So if you don't have 
a way in your body to release that naturally, you are more aggressive, mm-hmm. right? And they have found that in quite a few serial killers, they have less of this MOA mm-hmm. or an, an unswitched on gene, basically. Um, and so, like, that's another just one sentence of here's some here's some science that somebody read in a book once and we're not really going to explain it or give any more details. We're just going to say you've got this mutation so that somebody who's listened to it, who like I did genetics in college, I have a very basic understanding of that particular gene. So it jumped out to me and I went, oh, well, that's what they said. But otherwise, who who knows about like other than yeah. the fact that if you look it up, I, I'm fairly certain if you look it up now, Sarah, if you type it in, it'll say the serial killer gene. Right. Because... Ted Bundy was trying in it. That's that's it. Like yeah. somebody, somebody at some stage, either making the video game or making the thing, came across the phrase "the serial killer gene," mm-hmm. and then just put it into it. But it's just one of those things where they've they've just linked it in. So it's like, hey, we've linked you to this gene, right. by the way, and that's why. And th- like they're trying to justify what they're going to do later on which is remove free will from the entire world's population. Yes, as you do. Because genetically, some of us are more predisposed to violence. And it's not that we're more predisposed to violence. We're actually just harder to... I say we. I'm not saying that I have an issue with my my MAOA. Um, But some people... Are, find it harder to calm themselves down but that doesn't mean they're more likely to have violence like that right like you still have the will to say no i'm not going to stab this person well and also it's that the but, way it's framed is that it just describes as being this like proof of a link between heredity and crime which sounds problematic as fuck it sounds very problematic because it's it's not a very big step away from linking it to genetics and race yeah and crime which is something we've been dealing with for a long, long time. And also uh, his justification for the person he killed is, oh, he was a pimp. Right. Which also, again, going back to this, okay, so he, what, murdered this one guy who was a pimp, but he's on death row for that? He's on death row. That's what I'm saying. It's like, really? Right. For killing somebody who at least undoubtedly is, yeah, is undoubtedly a criminal. Uh, I believe it is often the case that pimps are often violent to the women who they are to the women responsible for. And and I'm assuming that's what they're also implying there is. Yeah. I didn't do it to kill him. I did it to protect the women that it was working for him. But at the end of the day, you still have killed a man, but you're unlikely to end up in death row. No, I mean, that, that sounds like, like, it sounds like a crime of passion where he murdered a criminal it like that which is not the kind of thing you're on death row for yeah because also you're not going to have da's pushing especially yeah for the death penalty especially because he can probably it seems very plausible that he could claim defense of somebody else like it yeah especially also when if, if they wanted to go with this way right you make you just make him pluralize the word Right, so you kill the man. You kill, you kill men, right? And he goes, "Yes, pimps." Right, because if he was going through and systematically murdering a bunch of pimps, okay, then you're basically a serial killer. Then you can link it to the gene thing that she mentions, right? So it's linked to the serial killer gene. Mm. You had it, and even though you were justifying it to yourself, buddy, you were doing this. But no, no, he killed a single person. 
as you said, not there's no such thing as justifiable homicide. Like that's, I I reject that as a notion. I mean, but if it is but, actually like he's trying to keep somebody else from being killed and defends her and in the process accidentally kills this guy like that actually i'd be like okay he but he'd still go to prison but he's not going to be on death row for no certainly not in a situation like like that's implied like this so okay we learned that allegedly at least sophia's mother was also killed by an assassin uh but that while cal turned to violence she turned to science. You know, the kind of science that takes the Bible as literal truth, like all science. Yeah, because she then explains, like, it's the, uh, it's the apple of Eden, Cal. And if you help me find it, I'll give you a new life. Dude, come on. Right. Apple. It's the apple of Eden, Cal. Oh, yeah, sorry. For a second there, I thought you said science. Um, but apparently you mean Scientology? <laughs> Uh, which is a slightly different thing, but it's just, oh, it's weird. I, Creationism is a kind this. of science. Teach both sides of the controversy. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, you've been in Memphis too long. <laughs> I'm not far away, actually, from the uh, the uh, Scopes Monkey trial took place in Tennessee. Oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> so, Cal gets taken to get some food, finally. Um, fucking time. And... He sees all of these other prisoners. Um, Who are like zombies, basically. He, yeah, exactly. It's weird. They're just kind of wandering around. And there's a few of them still seem to have their brain switched on. So we see uh, an Asian lady who's looks at him suspiciously. A weirdly effet dude. Like, I'm not sure what they're trying to get at, but he has floppy hair and he kind of looks at him like in a jealous way. Like, I, I don't know. The, the look he gives him is definitely not anger. It's like, this, who's this guy coming in on, on my territory kind of thing? You know, well, okay. And then Michael K. Williams, who comes over and he's like, you know, drops some knowledge on him or whatever. And like, I was just one of those things you're like, yeah, I bet you Baptiste or whatever is going to come in helpful. Like these people are clearly going right. to be useful later on. Yes. And, uh, and they also seem to know, oh, sorry, that's what he calls him. He calls him Pioneer. Why? Um, Why does he call him Pioneer? Yeah. I have no idea whatsoever. He has no idea who he is. He's never seen any of his history, uh, historic lives, but calls him pioneer anyway. But um, and he's not a pioneer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not like sense. that's his like historical past. And then the other white guy comes over and gives him an apple, and uh, and it's it's like you know here, and they seem to know more. Than Michael Fassbender does. Like, they seem to know more than I do. They're there saying you're you're going to lead them to it. Uh, progress requires sacrifice. All this sort of stuff. And you're like, what? Why do you know all like, this? Where where are you getting this from? Because if you've learned it from your past lives, you would have learned it in the Animus, and they would have seen it because they see everything that you see. Yeah, I find it very confusing. Yeah, it is. It's it's genuinely weird. Like I don't, I don't get it at all. Um, then he's getting fed or whatever, and then Sophia's fighting with her dad, and her dad tells her, "No, we have to do this now." And she's like, "Oh, we have to let him become accustomed to it. You know, you have to accept 
the animus into your life like it's it's very religious speaking like right. she's like you can't force him to it he has to accept it himself yeah because now we like free will yeah exactly <laughs> but but then Fassbender's busy fighting himself in a dream uh, and then they beat him up and bring him back to the animus so we get our second jump back to 1492 where Aguilar and Maria um, Maria for those of us who can't do a cool Spanish action like Sarah. Um, they're in prison and they're about to get burned by the uh, Templar slash Inquisition. And the, I believe Sarah has emboldened that slash on the uh, on the notes there because she's so angry at it. So I wrote <laughs> that down, they would be linked together. I wrote down Torquemada's entire speech because it is it's a whole thing. Sarah, you should definitely read it. The Lord says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast into the fire and he is burned. For decades you have lived in a land torn apart by religious discord. Cough started by the Christian's cough. But soon, thanks to God and the Inquisition... <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. He did not go cough caused by the Christian's cough. No, that was my addition. Don't Don't you be putting words that in this guy's mind. But soon, thanks to God and the Inquisition, we will purge this disease. The sinners before you sought to defend the heretic prince of Granada, the last heathen stronghold in our holy war. And so today, before our king and queen, I swear that we will purify ourselves in the holy fire of God. Behold God's will. Why can't they say the word Muslim? Why? Why? Because why aren't we allowed to say because the word they're Muslim heretics, in this movie? Sarah. They're heretics, not Muslims. Heretics. Muhammad, the heretic. Yes, um, he's. They're all heretics, uh, according to the movie. I also noticed that again. I mentioned this to you beforehand. I've, I've made a couple of allusions to it. There's not a single mention of any other religion, oh, no. including Jews. Oh no. And also that the goal of the Inquisition is presented as being. I don't know, bringing down the assassins, I guess. I don't know. And like ending religious discord as opposed to, well, actually we forcibly converted a bunch of people to our religion and now we're mad that they're not like okay with it and doing a good job of being Christians. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but, but it does allow us to have an excellent action scene. Like, I, for, it is for, a good action scene multiple time listeners of this thing you know and that's what i like about these movies and uh there's something really good about seeing even though it was filmed in 2016 and it's 10 years out of date seeing some random parkour through uh a 15th century spanish city kind of got me going yeah. I, I i enjoyed this this from start to finish and it starts to see like backflips off a stake it's fun he back backflips off a stick like he's in some sort of Attack of the Clones movie, um, and he gets he manages to <laughs> escape, and it's a really long, like a genuinely well done action scene yeah. that ends with him about to take uh, a giant leap off the top, and then he he goes into convulsions because he hasn't fully accepted who he is or how he's linked to Aguilar at this point, and this yes. is what. Marion Cotillard had thing. Now, even if you you don't watch the rest of the movie, if you look up that action scene, genuinely as a as a fan a of cool action scene. movies, it's really really well done. Like everything makes sense. There's a bit where a guy rides a horse up a building on the inside, which is stupid, but um, but then like they're chasing each other and it's, it's good. There's loads of fight bits yeah. and there's a bit where no, he's pulling team. an arrow 
and knocks a dude out with his elbow. It's good. And yeah. Maria is as is his match in terms of athleticism, which is oh yeah, good. she's she's excellent. Um, she doesn't really have a personality, but she is you know she's badass. She does have a personality. Her personality is long, lingering looks. And being dedicated to the assassins. Yes. Love is a weakness. Despite the fact that herself and Cal uh, Aguilar are clearly in love. Or at least have the hots for each other. Yes. A thing that will never be discussed uh, in this movie. (laughs) Because then they might give Maria too many lines. Um... (laughs) So back in the present, Cal is temporary, temporarily paralyzed, which is a thing that happens when you don't enter the animus of your own free will, which is also why all mm-hmm. of the other people are like basically catatonic is because they, I guess, went into the animus not of their own free will a few too many times. And that basically like breaks your brain. So we learned that apparently, again, now they like free will. So that uh, she is trying to convince him that he should agree to go willingly. And then Riken Sr., Bad Dad Science Dad, talks with Aguilar and tells him that his Bad Dad Assassin Dad is here and even gives him the blade that his father had used to kill his mother. Yeah, because what he's trying to do is get him angry enough with the dad to get him to effectively kill the dad in cold blood and then just accept that that's who he is. Right. Um, but when he goes up and talks to Brendan Gleeson, who's playing his dad, it is one of those conversations where everything has is meant to have multiple meanings and you just want to sit there and go, Brendan, now how about you do this? Rather than say, your mother's choice was to die, son, why not say, your mother was the assassin out of the two of us? She is the one that links back to Aguilar, not me. And she wanted her line to die. You were meant to be an unknown child. Alternatively, because we believed in the creed, I was meant to kill you and I actually couldn't bring myself to do it. Right. And that's why I had to let you live. But your mother specifically wanted me to kill her so that nobody could go back and find this apple. Instead, he says, the blood that flows through you is not your own. It belongs to the creed. Your mother knew that. She died so the creed may live. How is, how is he supposed to know what the fuck he's talking about? This is, hey, Cal, you never knew about the creed until yesterday. But here you go. Here's some cryptic clues for you to remember them by. Like, it's just, just say it. Just say it. Your mom asked me to kill her because she and her blood is a direct link. Not me. That's why I'm useless. Your mom was an assassin too, and she wanted to die. Cal's just there like, um, well, I guess I'm, I've am i got my own choices to make. And then goes and willingly gets into the animus. Yes. So back in 1490. Oh, and also there's this necklace that his mother had this necklace. And that as soon as he gets, and he gives it to his father while he's being snarky. And then as soon as he goes back to 1492, Maria gives him the same necklace. Yeah, because it's the only necklace that... Uh, like any assassin would want to wear. Yeah. It's so cool. It's the unthinkable necklace. Meanwhile, Torquemada arrives at the Alhambra with the prince, uh, at which point, uh, so it turns out that the Sultan Muhammad, in addition to ruling Granada, is also the guardian of the apple, and he gives it up at this point. The seed Good. Now, just, uh, just quickly, 
for the listeners at home who don't uh, understand what Sarah just said because she's rolling those oars like she's on top of a hill and they're made out of heavy stone. Uh, Torquemada arrives at the Alhambra. (laughs) Torquemada (laughs) arrives at the Alhambra (laughs) with the prince and Muhammad gives up the apple. Which is what she's saying, but she's like, there's so much ro- the Templar. <laughs> the roaring populations of humanity shall all bow in perfect obedience to our one Templar rule because Torquemada is a Templar, apparently, <laughs> according to this movie. Listen, Torquemada, he knew what he was doing. And yes, apparently, he was part of the Templars. An order that was disbanded. <laughs> a century and a half before he was born. This is, you don't get it, Sarah. They are now a secret order of Templars. They're not a secret. He's yelling about it every five fucking seconds in front of the king and queen of Spain. The king and queen of Spain know what's good for them, and that's to There's not get on the bad side. There's an entire city. He's yelling about it in front of the entire city of Seville. Listen, There's not a secret. If, any of them, if any of them have a hassle, he'll just get them kicked out of the country. Like, that's what he'll do. Turkey Madden knows what he's at. They're, they're really not secret. Everybody knows. Everyone knows. Anyway, it's so, so the secret organization, the Templars, they get the apple. And Aguilar, um, Aguilar, uh, and Aguilar. Maria. Maria. Yeah, Aguilar. <laughs> Aguilar and uh, and Maria, um, they arrive, arrive um, to attack <laughs> and recover the apple. I can't, I can't do it there, right? Um, and in the middle of the fight, uh, Maria, Maria gets caught, um, obviously in order to be killed. That's yeah. that's why she's there. It's literally her entire function. We're not doing great on the Yip Decker test, are we? Uh, no, no. At least this is the second lady with a name who just got murdered. Yep. Um, uh, and yeah that's it so she gets killed directly in front of um, Aguilar uh, and he then gets beaten up by Ojeda actually that wasn't too that bad was good. I good was going to say Oje- Ojeda as it's spelled <laughs> but Ojeda um, and he gets beaten up but as he's lying on the ground Maria reaches over to hold his hand and then he uses her um, crossbow built into her wrist guards to shoot Ojeda and then that's how he ends up killing killing him. Because it's like, so nice when women die and inspire men to uh, to do acts of violence. That's that yeah, really 100%. is what that's really is what women are for. If anything, that's what our genetic memories are telling us. Yeah, right. <laughs> that women are for dying to inspire men. <laughs> but that's what happens. And then Aguiar gets caught on a bridge, and we're like, oh, what's what's happened here he's, he's not gonna be able to escape but we're in another situation where he's up on top of something very high and now when he jumps he makes the full connection between himself and um cal in the past present and future so cal and aguilar are one so effectively he's broken the animus but because it also can fly fate yeah so the, the animus <laughs> has been jumping and moving him around in in real space in in the future but now he doesn't need the animus to connect with his history. Yes, but I'm more worried about why his historical self can fly. Well, he couldn't fly. He jumps and he lands in the river down below. He is Um, soaring and gliding. That is not a way a human can jump. It is. He he falls perfectly natural. And in the video game, (laughs) 
these these are called leaps of faith where you jump off and you land in haystacks to hide yourself from the templars who are coming out to get you um i had a lot of fun killing multiple templars in that game and then jumping off buildings to land in haystacks and then just lie there and you're thinking surely they'll look in the haystack nope nope no they won't i'm just hidden in the haystack but so he does this leap of faith and it basically forms the bond between him so even though the animus breaks in a kind of an hilarious way um because it's just like the power of the connection between them or whatever. It's too uh, much. The, the whole point of this machine is to connect them, but now they're too connected and we can't handle it. They're too connected. We can't control this. <laughs> but they see him talking to Christopher Columbus in the past. Christopher and they figure out fucking Columbus. Christopher Columbus. Good guy, apparently. Um, so he... Fucking he, Columbus. He, so he... He was going, he took the, the apple to America where he did nothing bad. Um, I'm literally clenching back. my fists while sitting here. I was offended then, by this movie. And then he came back and he's buried in in Sevilla because they're in Cadiz, I think. Um, and he, he they come back Madrid. and Madrid. Yeah, no, but they're in Cadiz when he's talking to, I think he's, I think they're in Cadiz when he's talking to Columbus. Well, but I think it's before Columbus goes to the New World. And actually, I'll talk about this later, but Columbus's remains actually kept getting moved back and forth. Like, so he was originally buried, I think, somewhere actually in the New World. Um, anyway. Ooh. Yeah. So what happens is they, they can see him talking to Columbus and they know that then Columbus had the apple. So then they figure out where's Columbus buried. He's buried Cathedral in Madrid. In Seville. In Seville, sorry. And... Uh, I, th- I knew I, I knew it was Seville. <laughs> yeah, so have I. It's lovely. Um, but uh, that's where you go if you want to spit on so, Columbus's grave. That's they because he's now linked one with the memories. They figured out that it's Columbus, and then they're able to figure out that that's where the apple is going to be. So they're going to go get it. The other assassins in um, the Abstergo building they stage a rebellion while Fastbender is talking to all of his ancestors. Now, include yeah. I was a little bit weirded out by this because some of them were clearly him, but some of them also looked like they weren't his particular family. I and found that very unclear, yes. I was not sure if yeah. it was just like a lot of assassins or if it was specifically his ancestors. I mean, I know his mother is there at some point. His mother's there at the end, and after Brendan Gleeson gets killed, his dad shows up. Right, yes, yeah, so it's clearly sure. dead assassins. But another thing that popped into my head was I'm fairly certain one of the assassins they see is Marion Cotillard, hmm. i.e. implying I that her that. mother may have oh. been an assassin. Interesting. And that's why, and maybe hmm. she was killed by the Templars and she's the adopted child of Jeremy Irons, Irons because she's only a little kid. Well, or that it's an illicit assassin Templar marriage. Exactly. Something like that is going on. But... I, I'm I'm still not certain because everyone's so blurry you can't really right. tell. But I, I was almost convinced that the last person to reveal their mask before his mom was somebody who was exactly the same as Marion. Fascinating. Cutting. And then she gets pulled away before that person comes right. out, so she wasn't there to see that it was her mom. Yeah. But that's why I think he doesn't kill her at the end. Oh. So you know he walks up with her and then because realistically yeah. he should yeah. Shank her. I thought it was just he, because he she was chooses. like, okay, I thought it was just because he was like, well, you were nice-ish. 
But that's when again, she wasn't really nice-ish. Oh, no. She created the machine. She's part of the Templars. And at this yeah. point, he is to believe that she is full Templar blood. So yeah. there's no reason for him not to shank her and walk. Yeah. Because she can create the Animus at any stage. Right, yeah. I mean, she's, I assume she just that... needs funding, essentially, to be able to put, to, put, to put it back together. Exactly. So, but anyway, the assassins rebel. They beat up and kill everybody in the building. Which is also a weird thing to see because the assassins all have killing weapons and the guards all appear to have cattle prods. Yeah, they've got like tasers. So, tasers. So I, I know they're not going to do nice stuff to the assassins if they get them, but it's also weird to be cheering for the guys with bows and arrows shooting men running at them with cattle prods. Everything like, is permitted, weird... Ollie. Everything is I know, permitted. It's just... It's just such a weird dynamic to be like, actually, yeah, these guards have no chance. These are highly trained murderous people with killing weapons and you're running at them with effectively mace. Like, um, and yeah, you're running at them with mace and they're holding an actual mace. Like, <laughs> one of you is going to get killed here. Right. And it turns out that the other white dude gets killed because we've now got uh, the, the three assassins that are left alive are Michael K. Williams the Asian lady who is not given a name, I oh, think, no. at any stage in the movie, and our white guy. So, you know, we're, we're covering all the races, Sarah. All of them. So, yeah, so it's uh, the two of them and Michael Fassbender. And uh, unfortunately, Michael Fassbender is the only one who's shirtless, uh, which is really too bad because uh, uh, Michael K. Williams, as I know from The Wire, looks pretty good shirtless. He looks Omar, all right Omar forever. Right. Yeah, Omar, Omar. Omar coming. When you come at the king, you best not miss. Then the Rikens flee, they get away in their helicopter. Michael Fassbender stands ominously on top of a building looking at them. And I was like, is he going to jump or something? But he doesn't. Yeah, I, like, I, I genuinely thought for a second that as they're flying off in the helicopter, he was going to make a real world leap of faith. And I was looking at him going, no, 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 Michael Fassbender, you don't come down from the above a helicopter. That's not the way to success. Come from below a helicopter, some chance. Come from above you're jumping into a blender right. so don't do right. that like um but he doesn't he just stands there and looks like creepy saying uh and then i assumed the final set piece would be in uh seville or Seville, or seville um but we're only there very briefly yeah they just basically grab the apple and go yeah um and then the uh the horny older lady's like <laughs> You will get your juice soon, Marion Cotillard. Perhaps in my chambers later. She's right? clearly but, um, hitting on her and it's such a weird she choice. She definitely is. You'll get your due later. Then her dad talks about her getting a Nobel Peace Prize. And again, I'm sitting there going, she would have every Nobel <laughs> Prize for the last 20 years. if she, like, she would have Nobel Prizes in genetics. She would have Nobel Prizes in physics in chemistry in biology like all of is these it, things there isn't one in be, history is there because like historians would fucking love it i tell you what if they found a way if she had created a way to link back into the genetic memories and you could live the life of your ancestors 100 fucking percent they would create an award yes. for her yes and go here you go it's the nobel prize in history well this is the first person who's getting it oh no 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 you're you're the only person who's getting this. Nobody's ever get. We're literally calling it the Marion Cotillard Award. She's but just that's not president my name in the now. Movie. 
Not of the United States, the world. Marion Cotillard is just president of the world now. It's mind-blowing levels of science. And then he's like, oh, you'll get a Nobel Peace Prize. Nobel Peace Prize? A couple of assholes in Northern Ireland have Nobel Peace Prizes. And I'm not, I don't even mean this. About, I've met John Hume. He's a Nobel Peace Prize. He's a dick, right? President Obama. He's got a Peace Prize. He does. He's got a Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, he didn't invent a machine that can allow you to live your lives of your ancestors. <clears throat> anyway, um, peace prize. So all this happens at the, quote, Grand Templar Hall in London, which, by the way, is actually the Freemasons Hall, because there obviously isn't an 18th century Templar Hall in London because there aren't any fucking Templars. My God. It's also for a secret order. They have the world's biggest Templar crosses yes! on top of this building. With it, and they're having a giant party. Giant again, again in this movie, the order is not secret. It's like a weird alternative universe where the Templars were never disbanded and also are the Inquisition. And they're secret. They're, no, they're not secret. They can't be secret. They're the least secretive organization I've ever seen. I'm, I'm sorry, Sarah. I just watched a movie where they're a secret organization. They all wore black robes going to that meeting. Yeah, but then they walked in, like, but then they walked, like, under, like, a spotlight in their black robes into that meeting. Yeah, under a spotlight. A spotlight that was reading their genetic codes, because apparently we can do this now. They walked down um, a also red they, carpet. A red for the color of the Templar cross. Like, Sarah, all of this makes perfect sense to uh, anybody who's played the game. Um, 55 mm. hours of my time. Okay. Uh, but... Uh, this is such a weird scene they're not carding people as they walk in it's just like no. you're wearing a black mask walk on in and the guys come in and there's some sort of um, you know we're, we've hitting our weapons between ourselves because right. um, there's no metal detector no the assassins <laughs> have a really cool but, there is, but that's the thing is there is a metal detector but they they make so the the assassins have this cool um knife that comes out of a wrist like at a wrist guard, mm-hmm. but they break it down and then spread it between the three of them so that there's not a suspiciously high amount of metal. Mm-hmm. So it's on the back of somebody's mobile phone for part of it. Her blade is kept inside her purse. Um, Michael K. Williams has a bit on his belt, so when the alarm goes off, he shows them his belt, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's your belt. Good job." Never bothered to ask him who he was, why he was right? there. Just get in. And then we get this scene where um, uh, the Rikens are talking to each other. And th- again, they seem to be on the same page as each other. Like, Well, she seems shocked to learn that actually he wants to bring down the assassins and doesn't really want to end violence. He, but he does want... He wants to end violence. But in a localized way, whereas she seems to be the more evil version. Like, right, his, she wants to mind is, control the entire population. Yeah, this is what I don't get. Is she's like, we can remove all violence from the world, right? And he's like, actually, we're just going to remove it from the assassins because they are our enemy, and then the Templars can be the rulers at this point, and there's nobody going around killing us anymore. And she's like. Oh my god, just to bring down the assassins? But what about everyone else? And he's like, <laughs> ah, they'll, they'll just listen they'll just listen to us. So in reality, she is the one who's 
the more evil. Like, right, because she wants to completely destroy human free will. Yeah. Um, and that's why, again, I think when Fassbender meets her, because he's got the, the knife, and I assumed that he was going to walk along, and that was a clear stab in the stomach and let her slowly die moment. Right. And he stops and they have a little chat, and there's no fresh on. There's no like, oh, they're going to get it on kind of thing. Right. It's they just... really don't have romantic tension, because at first I sort of no. assumed they would, and they didn't. Yeah, they just have a chat, yeah. and then he's like, whatever, and then walks on past her and she stands there and doesn't go in and stop him from killing her dad. Right. Like, as if that was her choice is not to kill her dad. Which is... Right. Or, sorry, not to stop him killing her dad. But if her entire thing is about violence, that's a crime of omission. Like, if you have the chance to kill... If you know something is about to happen and you don't stop it when you can stop it, you're you're criminally liable. Like you're as responsible as the person who doesn't. Like if I see you with a gun and I have the opportunity to take the gun off and you say, actually, I'm going to go in and kill this seven-year-old. And I go, cool, have fun. I'm just going to step back and not stop you. Like I'm as responsible as you are at that point for killing that seven-year-old. She basically says, cool, have fun. That's effectively what she does. Like, oh, go on ahead. Slit that old man's throat. Um, So again, that's why I think when he comes up and he's talking to her, I think he knows that she's... Like, right. if that was that her mom sense. we saw, he knows that and she doesn't. So that's why he lets her live. Because I, I think she thinks she's about to die. Right. And then he walks past. But there's, But she still then doesn't do anything to save her father. And that's what I'm saying is there's nothing that he does, that she does in the movie... That would make him think she's a good person. No. Like even even with her standing up for him. Once he's learned the full history of the Templars. Or not the Templars. Of the Assassins. She is his natural enemy. So unless as I said. He knows that possibly she is from the same bloodline as him. Or from the same side of the the conflict as him. I don't see why he wouldn't have killed her. I would have killed her. Yeah, no, I mean, that like, that makes sense. Because the only other thing that would have made sense is if they were trying to do, like, a romantic subplot. But it really, I don't, I just don't actually see that in the film. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely no, no subtext of romance between them. But he yeah. goes in, uh, Jeremy Irons is holding up the apple, which looks like um, something from, it looks like one of the MacGuffins from The Fifth Element, if you've ever seen The Fifth Element. I actually haven't. But yeah, like, it's sort of glowing. Yeah. It's it's a glowing orb with lines on it, and then he's holding it in the air while all of the Templars are watching, and Cal just jumps up from behind them and slits his throat, and yeah. then we get Marion Cotillard or Cotillard walks in and it's like, "I did this," which is linking back to what the older lady had said before, the Grand Master or whatever, and she's like, "I did this." I did she let it happen? Is that what she's implying? Because she didn't stop it. But then she's like, we will get the apple and I want Cal for myself. And I found it very unclear at this point because she did make the decision to let him kill her father. I was like, is she just putting on a front? Does she actually feel guilty and think that she did the wrong thing? I did not find I that assumed this is a setup for a sequel. Yes, and the setup was going happening. to be she is going to become the main the bad guy. Bad. But anyway, yeah. that's that's the end of the movie. Oh, sorry, the end of the movie is actually it cuts away from 
the police going into where the murder had happened and then it cuts to our three friends standing on top of the um i think it's the liberty insurance building in london and mm. um, looking at the london eye just standing on top of it like yeah and i will know we're here that calva when they obviously take the apple and uh, replace it with like a regular apple which is pretty funny considering that otherwise cal has literally zero sense of humor <laughs> I think he replaces it with the original apple that he got in. It looks exactly the same as the one that he and was it, given. It can't be the same, though. That, that's been like weeks. That apple would be like rotting by now. Listen, it's a very special apple. Assassins mm-hmm. are, are able to keep them fresh. And that's it. That ends uh, the movie. So I think we should get on to find out what this movie got right. Uh, okay. And what it got wrong in a section that Sarah lovingly calls where it falls so oh my god i have so many thoughts okay all right i thought you were like oh my god that was beautiful singing that that was beautiful. no you've got thoughts beautiful. whatever okay so i have a few things that i'm going to highlight here and uh but then there's of course some stuff uh, that i'm going to save for the next section so i'll start by saying something that they did technically get right, which is uh, they refer to Sultan Muhammad. Muhammad XII is indeed the last ruler of Nasrid Granada. This is approximately where the accuracy of the uh, history of the depicted conquest of Granada ends. More on that later. (laughs) But they got the name of the ruler of Granada, right? That's something. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. They got the Templar cross right. That is, however, where the history of the Knights Templar, the accuracy of the history of the Knights Templar ends, since they were formally disbanded by the Pope Clement V in 1312, that is 180 years prior to this movie. And also, by the way, one of the many reasons that Dante was like, oh, Clement, he's going to be in hell. Um, uh, would you would you, would you you say that he carried out Order 66 on them? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, well, I think he did. He slash Philip IV. Uh, and, you know, the fun thing, and this is probably where some of the kind of mythology surrounding the Templars comes from, is that uh, Jacques de Molay, as he was being executed, said to, uh, I believe, to Philip and uh, Clement that, like, both of you will die within a year. And then they did. So, like, that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and there were some Templars who in, on an individual level survived and ended up joining other military orders. And in Portugal, they actually sort of developed something called the Order of Christ, which included a lot of ex-Templars. But they're not, there's not a functioning military order known as the Knights Templar after 1312. And they sure as fuck aren't the Spanish Inquisition. They weren't even the Inquisition when there was an Inquisition and Templars at the same time. The Dominicans are the Inquisition. In terms of church orders. Do we know this, Sarah? Like, yes. you've never gone back into yes. your, your family's historical records through the animus. I've read documents, Ollie. Documents. Oh, my God. So many documents. documents. <laughs> Fun fact. There are actually two people at the active at this time who have uh, who are uh, Ojeda's, who are Alonso de Ojeda. One is a Dominican friar who actually helped encourage Ferdinand and Isabella to establish the Inquisition, more on that again later, by claiming that crypto-Judaism, so basically that people who had converted to Christianity but are secretly still practicing Judaism, uh, that it's basically a big problem in Seville, and that's one of the things that led to them establishing the Inquisition. 
And then there's also a cousin by the same name who participated as a soldier in the conquest of Granada and subsequently joined Columbus on his second voyage to the New World. He would therefore hold so he would then hold several governorships and develop a reputation for brutality, first by cutting off the ears of many local captives. So neither of them quite seemed the same as the Ojeda in the film, but it is worth noting that there were in fact two terrible people named Ojeda active in this period. Yeah, that so, is, and they both seem like absolute scumbags. Yes, yes, there are two just absolute pieces of shit named Ojeda. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this painting that is described as being the painting of uh, uh, the grand, the painting of the of uh, the Inquisition. It's described as Francisco Rizzi's Grand Inquisition, 1492, and it is actually a real painting, and it's really by somebody named Francisco Rizzi, but it is off on the subject. So looking at the painting, I could immediately tell, all right, that's not a 15th century painting, certainly. It might be depicting whatever it's depicting, but it clearly is a 17th century painting. Anyway, I was right. It is a 17th century painting. It was completed in 1683 uh, and can today be found in the Museo del Prado in Madrid. And it depicts not the 1492 Inquisition, but a 1680 auto da fe. So basically a public ceremony condemning heretics that took place in the Plata Mayor of Madrid, presided over by young King Carlos and his mother, uh, Carlos II and his mother, Mariana of Austria. Now there's really something interesting about this is I have watched this movie uh, like jokingly recently, like but I've actually watched it twice in the last like five days. Uh, didn't notice that picture either time, even though it is clearly mentioned, like it, it gets its own little subtitle yeah. as what Grant Inquisition is. Um, didn't spot it both times. The fact that Sarah can, in all honesty, say, I saw that painting and said to myself, that, that shit is 17th century. And I didn't even notice there was a painting until I read this note. I was like, there's a painting in the movie? Now I know exactly where it appears uh-huh. and then what scene it's in, but it's just, oh yeah. This is the but shit I look not for. Sarah. This is clearly 17th century. What the hell? That's not Let's the roll, Sorry, 17th century (laughs) it's also not the only thing that's clearly 17th century so they have all this this whole bit where they're like parkouring through seville and they have avoided everything anything that's really overtly modern but i kind of get the sense that whoever was responsible doesn't actually know the difference between medieval and like 16th 17th century neoclassical because there's a lot of stuff that is most people don't know that well i do like genuinely no no i know you what i'm saying is (laughs) I would say that if you were to show anything from that thing to your average person, yes. they're not going to have a, a clue of the difference. That's, I mean, the yes. only reason I really know is because you've explained it to me painstakingly several times. Yes. So, so yes, it's the kind of detail that most normal people don't notice, but I notice and I need to comment on it being wrong. But I will note that they do overtly include a representation of La Giralda. Uh, so this is this big tower that he uh, that went that he's that he jumps off at some point I think during the scene right before he's about to be mm-hmm. or when he gets away from being burned. And yeah, it's the one where he goes into it's his first leap of faith attempt, yes. and it's when he goes into um, 
he goes into a spasm and ends up paralyzed for a second. Right. So it's the one that like knocks him out of the animus and paralyzes him. So La Giralda is a, uh, an Almohad era former minaret that was built in Seville. And uh, then Seville gets conquered by the Christians in 1248. And at first they basically just keep the mosque and just say it's a church now. Um, but it ends up basically it kind of falls into disrepair and then there's an earthquake and nobody's really making that much of an effort to keep it in good condition. So basically at some point they kind of knocked down what remains of it and built the current cathedral in the uh, 15th and into the early 16th century. But they kept this one minaret uh, to be used as the Bazi bell tower. So it's this, um, yeah, I think... Oh, I turned to her now. I'm trying to remember the last day. I think early 13th century uh, minaret that, uh, yeah, is still part, is now still part, part of the fabric of the current cathedral. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's uh, it's gorgeous. I highly recommend that you go to the cathedral and look at La Giralda and then go inside and spit on the graves of Columbus and Ferdinand and Isabella. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't spit on graves, people. <laughs> I mean, no, figuratively, yes, but don't actively do it. Yeah, probably don't actively do it, but think about you it. You know, you know, Dr. If Decker has done it. Okay, I haven't, but my mom actually literally has, like, spat on the arch Oh, my God. <laughs> Beth Greenfield. Greenfeld. She'll be really mad at you if you get it right, if you get it wrong. Oh, I want her to be mad at me for saying it that way. <laughs> The apple of Eden. We need to discuss the apple yeah. of Eden. <laughs> that thing that we've... The, it's the MacGuffin we've all been looking for in our lives. So I do just want to note that there's no evidence that I could find, at least, that this was ever something that people were looking for or claimed to hold as a relic at any point during the Middle Ages. And it doesn't really make sense, right? Because, as I was saying before, if you read the text, the point is, is that like they ate it. So it wouldn't just be lying around. But fun fact, I would like to note that not everybody would necessarily agree that it is specifically an apple. So the idea that it's an apple is probably basically a Latin pun because the word for apple, malum, sounds a lot like the word for evil, malum. Basically, the only difference is that it would be a long A versus a short A. Hmm. So... uh, Yeah, so that's probably where the idea of it being an apple came from. If you actually look at the Hebrew original, since that's the real language that the real part of the Bible was written in, uh, the Hebrew just literally translates to fruit. And Jewish commentators apparently varyingly suggested that it was a grape, wheat, or a banana. And I really want the version of this movie where they just replace the apple of Eden. The banana of Eden. The banana. And the entire thing is just looking for the sacred fucking banana. Find the banana. Like, I mean, we all know that the banana of Eden is something else entirely, Sarah. Um, uh, I mean, they sexualize that a lot already. So... I think it actually would make sense. Also, this is a question I have because yes. I'm not sure if you're bringing it up in the um, in the next section. Have people been actively looking for the Apple of Eden at any no. stage in history? I, no, I don't like, think so. 
It just doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. No, no, that's not a thing. As I said, the, the point is that they ate it. There's something to look yeah. for. And so it's depicted often. There are a lot of paintings representing it, but nobody's looking for it. Also, speaking of paintings representing it, I would like to note, in terms of other possible interpretations for what the for what the fruit in the Garden of Eden is, there is a an abbey in France, Plancourt Abbey, which has a 13th century fresco in which the apple of Eden or the fruit of Eden looks a great deal like a mushroom. <laughs> yeah, let's eat the, the mushroom. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Oh, here, like take a bite of this. It's delicious, Adam. Oh, Eve, you're spoiling me with this mushroom. Earthy. Oh, disgusting. Mushrooms are um, great. There's one thing we passed over that you mentioned above is about Abstergo program. And Abstergo oh, yes. means to cleanse. Yeah. In, well, it means like Latin. I cleanse uh, in Latin. Yeah. Um, or, well, actually, the, the Latin is actually Abstergeo. So they've kind of left mm-hmm. out a, they've left out a letter. But I don't know, in the grand scheme of things, close enough, I guess. I think it's close enough because yeah. the idea is that the entire project is to clean the assassins from out from underneath the right the templars so, yeah. yeah and so and it's interesting fair play yeah, to the so, game for doing that i yeah. didn't realize like yeah. that abstergo is part of the game so cool yeah and yeah i cleanse is the translation that the game uses uh probably the translations that i found looking in my several latin dictionaries that i have in my home where i wipe away or i remove something unpleasant uh, which are a little less uh, pithy than I cleanse, but uh, get yeah. at the same thing, obviously, and fit in with the aims, clearly. So you're several Latin dictionaries, but you don't have a copy of the good book. I have copies of the better part I, of it. I rest my case. And I do have I do have a copy that has the New Testament. It's just in uh, it's just on campus. <laughs> yeah, on it's campus. In my, it's in my keep, it's in keep, my keep keep that out of my home. She says. <laughs> Exactly. Keep Jesus out of this home. Uh, <laughs> Jesus has no place here. Can I, I add something to the uh, Vera F also? Of course. So, near the end, um, Jeremy Irons is talking to his daughter and it's when she reveals, or he reveals his plan. And, um, and she's upset about it, but he asks her for an opening to his speech. And she says, "I today I am become death destroyer of worlds, which is... Um, it's a quote from Hal Oppenheimer, who mm-hmm. was the guy who was the head of the Manhattan Project. And apparently he was shocked that the nuclear weapon he was um, developing was used as a weapon, right? And he, he's attributed shocked. to it. But what I find interesting about this is that, yes, it is a quote and it is a very famous quote from, mm-hmm. from Oppenheimer. Um, after, after the Manhattan Project was finished... Oppenheimer was obviously very famous in, in America mm-hmm. um, up until the mid-50s. And then he was effectively accused of being a red, um, so a commie. So he was he was caught up in McCarthy trials mm-hmm. and when there, gave up a bunch of his colleagues Ooh. as possible uh, commies so to cover snitch. for himself, right? So he snitched on other people including possibly falsifying information Mm -hmm. to make himself look better for his government. So I just think it's interesting that she chose to quote Oppenheimer. Interesting. And then the very next thing she does is 
effectively take her father's place mm-hmm. as the head of the Templars. So yeah. it's just it's interesting that yeah that oh I didn't know uh my thing that I developed to specifically go back and read people's history so that I can find the apple of Eden and control everybody's free will. I didn't know that was going to be used for evil. I didn't know that was going to be bad. What? Like, so I just think it's funny that it's linked that she, that that's the lyric, or the lyric, that's the, the famous quote that it chose there. It's not yeah. what I would have chosen at that point, but yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. So at this point. And that brings us to this bit, Sarah. Yeah. Which is where you get to actually school us on something that happened. So this section is called Historia et Veritas. And we're talking about 1492. Yeah, the this is, best year. This is a section where y'all are lucky that I'm not literally just like reading seven, like, pa- and that I'm not literally just reading like 12 pages of documents uh, out of a book. Mm. I saw them. She had a lot of primary sources earlier. I have it was, so many primary sources. It was impressive. I mean, the fact that she doesn't own a bible less impressive primary sources she got a lot and also i will say by the way for anybody who is interested in learning more uh one place at least the place where i accessed my primary sources of in this particular case are uh olivia remy constable an excellent and unfortunately uh uh deceased died much too young scholar of a the medieval Iberian Peninsula. She has a source book called Medieval Iberia Readings from Christian Muslim and Jewish Sources, which is excellent and uh, relatively affordable. I think maybe about 25 bucks, like a cheap enough that I make my students buy it. Um, so if you're interested in reading a wide variety of primary sources on the medieval Iberian Peninsula, but in particular on, there's a number of them on 1492, a uh, great, great source to look at. So first, a bit of background before we get into 1492. As I think I've mentioned previously on this podcast, in the year 1391, there are waves of massacres that spread across the Iberian Peninsula, and so in particular in the kingdoms of Castile and Aragon. So these are the two largest Christian-ruled kingdoms, and this is a point at which Spain is not a meaningful political entity. There is no such thing, there is no such kingdom as Spain. Mm-hmm. That at least begins to change in the year 1469 with the marriage between Isabella of Castile and Ferdinand of Aragon. So Isabella then actually becomes queen in 1474 and he becomes king in 1479. And so this begins the process of at least bringing the two kingdoms under the rule of a single monarch or kind of pair of monarchs at this point. Uh, They actually do maintain somewhat separate legal systems for a long time, but they do have a kind of shared ruler. Is there any chance that Ferdinand of Aragon was related to Tristan of Aragon? Uh, Almost certainly, yeah. Tristan and Isolde. <laughs> well, actually, probably not, because I feel like Tristan of Aragon is probably coming from the period uh, before the rulers of Aragon are the uh, the Castilian Trastamara dynasty, which they would be by this point. So I'm going to say, like, only very distantly. Oh, damn. I was hoping it was like <laughs> Tristan's cousin. So uh, they're running things. And in 1478, they basically managed to convince the Pope, Pope Sixtus IV, to issue a decree, a papal bull, which allows for the establishment. I, a papal bull is a funny phrase, isn't it? Papal bull is a funny phrase, but I'm I'm laughing at the idea that the Sixtus IV... Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> it's sure, annoying. I surely it? don't. Yeah, so I'm Sixtus the Fourth. <laughs> yep. Um, how many Sixtuses were there in the end, sir? I'm going to guess nine. I actually don't know offhand. I'd have to check. Hmm. I bet. I bet it was like nine. Sixtus the ninth. It would be perfect if they actually did stop at six, but I feel like they probably at six, didn't. yeah. Or if they stopped at five um, and there was never a six to the sixth. That would be funny. Like, and then somebody's just waiting for his chance. Right. Like, so once, once I was going to say Benedict is gone, Benedict's gone, once Pius, <laughs> whatever he's calling himself now, Pope Francis. Francis. Um, once he's gone, if we get, we get a six to the sixth in, I would love it. The current Pope, uh, I believe, actually, Pope Francis is, fun fact, I believe the first Pope in like a millennium or something like that to uh, in, come up with his own, or to come up with a new Pope name hmm. that uh, previously for a long time they just like had. There are eight Popes, Sixtus. Oh, I was close. Oh, wait. No. Okay. I don't know. They're being, I don't know. The site is being weird. Okay. Um. So... Sixtus IV, in 1478, issues a papal bull that allows for the establishment of a specifically local inquisition in the Iberian Peninsula. So one that's going to be basically under the control of the monarchs and under the Grand Inquisitor, whom they appoint, uh, Tomas de Torquemada, who also, fun fact, is himself of uh, Converso ancestry, who is somebody who is descended from one of these uh, probably forced converts from Judaism to Christianity. And the whole rationale Mm -hmm. behind the Inquisition, uh, or behind what we call the Spanish Inquisition, is the idea that they have a particular local problem that other places don't have because they had these mass conversions back in 1391. And now all of those people's descendants, uh, at least so they fear, are still secretly practicing Judaism. And they need to stamp that out. So that is our, our prelude. And at this point, I'll go in uh, roughly chronological detail in, uh, over the, uh, for, uh, through a few events of 1492. Mm-hmm. So first, the conquest of Granada. So going back to the Islamic conquest of the Iberian Peninsula back in the 8th century, there had been parts of the peninsula that had been under Muslim rule. And... Uh, the and so but by the mid 13th century there's actually only one muslim ruled kingdom left and that is the emirate of granada which we have of course mentioned previously uh so centered around the city of granada and uh so it's of course most famous site the alhambra is a palace built by uh the by members of the nasrid dynasty that is ruling in granada so this muslim mm-hmm. dynasty but okay so this movie like invents this whole thing about the conquest of Granada uh, but with like this whole thing with this like kidnapped child, which is just like nothing. Um, really, it's just that there had been like an eight month siege and like people were starving. And there had also been like decade, a decade basically of like on and off campaigns. And it's not, like, basically, they're just like, they're, they just give up. Like they're the last, uh, uh, like they don't have a lot of allies, uh, uh, they've been under siege for a really long time. It's just, it looks like it's not going to happen. So, uh, just uh, what what sort of population are we talking about at the time? Like, how many how many Muslims were in the? I, I can't remember what word you just used to describe the area of Granada. Um, the Emirate. The Emirate, yeah. So, how like what what population of of Muslims were we talking were holding out during this eight month siege? 
so the siege is really of the city itself, and there also would have been people of the surrounding countryside. Um, but yeah, but that that is a good question. I actually don't know what the population of Granada would have been offhand, but like it's a it's a decent sized city. I mean, so it is. As I said, I don't remember the numbers offhand, but it's a decent sized city, which means it's hard to feed. And I mean, yeah. that's almost that's what always, I was thinking this, yeah, so. I mean, so, so as I said, I don't know the numbers, but like, that's almost always, you know, why at some point, you know, siege, I mean, that's why siege warfare works is because you're able to basically starve people because you're only able to yeah. keep a certain amount of stores, especially for like a dense, highly populated city. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was yeah. wondering is if yeah. the, the, the fact that they managed to last eight months. Like, that's pretty good. That's good. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, because a lot of city sieges were like obviously there are famous ones that lasted for years or whatever but the majority of them were over in two months because people were running out of food yeah. and water yeah so eight months is you know i mean that's a pretty long time to last so it makes sense that after eight months at some point they're just like yeah we can't do this anymore mm. so in late 1491 they basically agree on terms and formally make their surrender on january 2nd 1492 and the terms that they sign, I will note, are initially pretty generous to the city's Muslim inhabitants. There's a lot of emphasis on the fact that, yes, you can still practice Islam. Uh, there are certain areas in which they're allowed, uh, in kind of civil law areas, where they're allowed some amount of self-governance, um, that people, you know, aren't going to be driven from their homes. Uh, but, of course, a decade later, the Muslims of Castile and Aragon, including the people living in the former kingdom of Granada, would indeed be told you have to either convert or get out. They at least got a decade before they had to do that, uh, whereas the Jewish inhabitants of the Iberian Peninsula were expelled actually very shortly after the conquest of Granada. And I very much see this as being part of basically a larger effort to Christianize these kingdoms. So we've already made this progress toward Christianization from the perspective of Ferdinand and Isabella by wiping out the last uh, vestiges of Muslim rule. And so let's now really Christianize things uh, by making sure basically that our Christians are Christian. And the claim that's made, if you actually look at the expulsion decree, is that the reason that they're kicking the Jews out is basically because they're a bad influence. Yep, well, yeah. Specifically on these uh, descendants of conversos, that there's all of these people who had converted usually to avoid dying, uh, who had had converted to Christianity (laughs) rather than be murdered. Um, and uh, so, as, as you would, Sarah, as, as you would, yeah, as mo- many people would, if you were told convert to Christianity or die, I would probably convert to Christianity. But it's just I the way be... you said it implied they were a little bit weak in their conversion. Oh, no, I don't mean to imply <laughs> that at all. No, my point is really like, of, of course, they're not going to be super sincere converts. Like I would convert too, but like, would I be enthusiastic about my Christian life after that? No. Yeah, but you'd need to be able to find ways to weed out who was still actually, you know, Jewish under those. And that's where I believe that the Spanish introduced this idea of secret ham, where they would put <laughs> ham into stuff which wouldn't usually have ham I remain to try completely, and catch people out. I remain completely convinced that this is true, that that's why there's just so much ham in Spanish cuisine, is to like, hide it, like smoke out the secret Jews and eventually also <laughs> Dude, the secret listen. Muslims. I think that guy might be secretly a Jew. Right, put some ham in your lasagna. Wait, what's lasagna? Shh, I got it from Italy. Let's just go with it. Um, 
so yeah, and so and, you know, that's also what the Inquisition is for. And actually, a lot of the Inquisition documents, like that's one of the ways you, they get you, is they're like, so and so turned down a dish with pork in it. Psst, I think they're secretly a Jew. Uh, so there's like a lot of stuff like that. But so that was the point of the Inquisition. But then essentially, what the point of the expulsion order is, allegedly at least, is well, we've tried. But we just feel like there's too much happening on the part of the Jews of the of these kingdoms that they're basically supporting or encouraging these people who are converts to still be secretly Jewish. And so the only way we can get that to stop is by just kicking them out. Um, so the charter gets uh, formally like signed in the end of March, it actually only gets issued a month after that, which basically then gives them three months to get the fuck out. Um, so basically, yeah, in three months, you have to leave like your home where you and your family have probably lived for centuries. Um, the, I mean, the whole system was really also like designed to be extremely financially abusive and to like basically pressure, like pressure slash otherwise get them to like leave uh, the people who are wealthy to leave a lot of their wealth behind. All pretty fucked up. And when, when the Jews were encouraged, um, to move out and move to another place, what happened to their land after they, after they were gone? I mean... So, well, I mean, so in some cases, they actually basically managed to, I mean, so basically all the, they were all scrambling to sell their property. Um, yeah. But because everybody knew that they were in a time crunch, basically all of it got sold for like fraction of what it was worth. So basically a bunch of Christians, yeah, so basically a bunch of Christians like bought land at a fraction of what it was worth uh, from these Jews who were, you know, just, you know, wanted something at least because they knew they had to get out. Um, and the synagogues also were turned into churches. Yeah. And I think anything that doesn't get, and I think it is the case that anything that didn't get sold, I think reverts to the crown who, yeah, that can distribute it amongst whoever they would like to distribute it. Um, yeah. So basically fuck this movie because there are actual victims of the Inquisition and of Torquemada and of Ferdinand and Isabella who get completely erased by this film. It, it's genuinely like I was joking with Sarah before we began recording I was like I'm reading through your notes Sarah you seem incredible like I'm these are the angriest notes movie. I've ever read since Kingdom of Heaven where there was just swear words every second or third sentence um, but as as I was look I was there going is it like jokingly I was like is it because they don't mention Jewish people at all and then I realized it's not even a joke for me to say that. Like, yeah. obviously myself and Sarah were really good friends and we I mess around and we make jokes like this all the time. And, you know, she can talk about how her people killed my God. And I go, Sarah, don't say it like that. Well, it's true. Um, and I'm but, like, well, he deserved it. But the actual Jewish erasure in this movie is palpable. Like, yeah, the Inquisition, are, are, we were going after the assassins. Yeah, it's like, no, you were going after no, like people who had the or the, the descendants of people who had been forced at the point of a sword to convert to a religion they had no interest in converting to, and then just like wanted to practice the religion they had always wanted to practice and are doing so in secret and uh, are then being, you know, attacked and and killed for uh for secretly trying to practice their faith. 
And uh, then, you know, the people who, and so the people who had remained Jews, unless they're found to have overtly been, uh, quote, Judaizing, uh, so basically overtly in some way encouraging crypto-Judaism among the converts, that's the only case in which the Inquisition is actually targeting people who are still Jews. But that's the point of then the expulsion order is to say, well, actually, like anybody who's a Jew, we feel like you're probably a bad influence on these converts. So you too, you know, so you have to so convert or leave. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's insane that yeah. like it's completely and utterly immoral in every way, shape, or form, and yet yeah. because they were the people deciding what gets to be moral or not, right? It's okay, and like it's yeah. Um, and as I said, I just I'm very angry about the fact that there are like hundred, there are like thousands of real people who are like the actual victims of the Inquisition, which has a prominent role in this film. And those real people are completely erased in favor of uh, this, like, imaginary creed. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, by the way, I will say that I'm angry about and offended by (laughs) uh, in this film has to do with the event that, of course most normal people associate with the year 1492 when i think 1492 oh, the, um, the expulsion of the jews that's what i think when i think 1492 <laughs> i know most normal it's the first people thing, first thing think that pops the, into my head yeah i know most normal people think columbus i i, I know that's what normal people think um i think granada i think the <laughs> so granada that's what most normies <laughs> think <laughs> but the standard thing that people who are not you know, medievalists, and in particular medievalists working on, like, Jews in medieval Iberia, what they think of as the voyage of Columbus. Uh, so this voyage was formally authorized uh, not too long after the signing of the expulsion order, so in April of 1492, and so this is at this point about three months after the conquest of Granada. Uh, and so Ferdinand and Isabella signed the Capitulations of Santa Fe, which authorize and fund Columbus's proposed voyage to the Indies, right? So he's going to uh, the Indies and hopes to kind of bypass the Muslim middlemen. And so basically, again, this is about like, why should we, Christian Spain, why should we be dependent in any way uh, or beholden in any way to Muslims? We should get our own route. And that was, of course, Columbus's goal was to access the profitable uh, these kind of profitable uh, areas where they could uh, be involved in the spice trade in particular uh, without having to go through Muslim territory and Muslim middlemen. And of course, in practice, it resulted in the European discovery of the New World. Mm-hmm. And also, by the way, the agreement is called the Capitulations of Santa Fe because it was actually signed, it was signed in a town called Santa Fe, which is actually in the Kingdom of Granada, or what had been the Kingdom of Granada. And not Santa Fe, the capital of New Mexico. No, because that didn't exist. I mean, because that was presumably named after-ish that other Santa Fe. Yeah. And also, of course, the name Santa Fe, which means Holy Faith, would have been a town name that would have been, I don't actually know, I don't actually know the history of the town of Santa Fe, but that clearly is a name, at least that was, it's either a new town or it's a a town that's given, that's renamed that by the Christians, because that's obviously not what the Muslim people living there would have called anything. Because it means holy faith in Spanish. Uh, Yeah. So Columbus would then 
go on to slaughter and enslave the population of the New World. Uh, he certainly at least permitted his fellow conquistadores to rape indigenous women, uh, if not also do so himself very possibly, but certainly permitted his uh, his fellows to do so. And, of course, uh, basically brings the Inquisition across the Atlantic Ocean that he is like that he's actually he's bringing over some Dominican priests at various points who might have actually been involved in starting to set up the Inquisition. Uh, and even if he's not necessarily directly doing so himself, he's obviously facilitating ultimately the conditions. And so the Inquisition will continue to operate not only in the Iberian Peninsula, but for centuries in uh, Mexico and in other um, Spanish-ruled territories in uh, in uh, North and uh, North Central and South America. So, in conclusion, fuck Christopher Columbus, and also fuck this movie for implying that Christopher Columbus is a hero. Yeah, it's it's just such a weird <laughs> choice. <of> like, <laughs> like Columbus is. <clears throat> I'm trying to I'm trying to think of what the best way to describe this is, right? Everybody knows who Columbus is. Like you can't you can't go to a kid over the age of seven in Ireland who has no connection to Columbus, has no connection to America, probably wouldn't be able to find Spain. Actually, we probably would. Irish children are good at geography, but Spain's they like will tell you, you exactly if you say <laughs> who is Columbus, they they know it's the the guy who discovered America, right? Like they'll get this, but. Everybody now knows the true facts or the majority of people know some sort of inkling about what actually went on there. Yeah. Like nobody, uh, like realistically, nobody should be wandering around going, oh, Columbus, what a hero. He did right. it for altruistic reasons. He did it for money. And then when he got there, he was a cunt. Yep. Not a word I use very often, but I'm going to use it right now. Yeah. An absolute fucking cunt. Yeah. And the fact that he is in any way held up as a hero in this situation it's just it's ridiculous yeah i 100 percent agree with you. They i was gonna say especially, literally could have picked anybody yeah, yeah. ferdinand yeah like oh, oh god that would have been a bad look too um sorry ferdinand magellan sorry oh, ferdinand. Okay. but especially not, not king ferdinand <laughs> Sarah. Like, oh. i mean especially also because i this movie's made in 2016 if it had been made 20 years before you know because when i went was I, when i was in elementary school we were taught pretty uncritically that, like, Columbus, like, oh, what a great explorer. Wait, sorry, sorry, 20 years ago, you were in elementary school. No, 30 years. I was 25 years ago, I was in elementary school. That's good, because I was about to say, 20 years ago, I was 20. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you were still in elementary school. I can't be having this conversation with you on the uh, internet. The <sighs> FBI are going to come and find me. I would have been elementary school like in the in the 90s basically yeah well yeah. that's not too bad yeah um yeah so in the if so this movie had been made in 1996 as opposed to 2016 that was still a moment at which like at least in u.s elementary schools uh, people were teaching fairly uncritically just like columbus uh, an explorer good job but even by the time I was in high school, so uh, let's see, I would have graduated high school in 2005. So already by, you know, the early 2000s, already like we're being, you know, in a high school course. And, you know, my high school was like not that overtly progressive in terms of how it taught history. And we were already being taught like we should think somewhat critically about the legacy of Columbus. Um, I just... As you said that, I just looked up uh, the movie 1492. 
Conquest of Paradise, which would have come out when you were in elementary school. Mm -hmm. And it has Jared Depardieu. And like, it doesn't, I was going to say it doesn't paint him as a hero. It it definitely does. (laughs) Like, he's a heroic figure in that movie. And you're right, like, that's, what, 28 years ago now? Mm -hmm. But like, that's the nonsense that people were spouting at the time. Like, Yep. Oh, yes. There definitely was a period at which, like, we did a lot of trash you know, saying that Columbus was a good guy. But by tw- by 2016, they should have known better. By 2016, yeah. obviously, there are people defending Columbus's legacy, in particular in the United States still. Uh, so actually, in my former hometown of New Haven, there was a Columbus statue that recently was taken down, like in the last couple of years. The people who are still protesting it being taken down are uh, primarily the city's large Italian-American community, because Columbus is probably at least Italian, and uh, is therefore, you know, treated as uh, somebody to celebrate uh, among certain um, uh, Italian-American circles. And uh, so because of that, there was some opposition, but it still got taken down. And I would say, you know, most Americans, at least most, well, all progressive Americans, I would say, Uh, I certainly am not going to say anything good about all Americans, but progressive Americans certainly uh, pretty much universally would say like, no, Columbus sucked. Like that's not a controversial statement in many circles in the United States anymore and wasn't by 2016. Isn't there a movement now? Again, again, it could be wrong because we don't have this day, but a lot of people celebrate Indigenous People's Day rather than Columbus Day. Yeah, yeah. and again, you know, and the people who oppose that are often like Italian Americans who are like, well, but the Columbus Day Parade is like our like oh, Italian wow, yeah. Pride Day, essentially. <laughs> like, um, which, you know, like, I don't know, find somebody better to celebrate who didn't commit genocide. Yeah. Okay, find Paolo Maldini Day. He's one of the best footballers ever. We've got, we've got lots, we've got lots of good people, I'm sure. I don't know. What about that? Isn't that guy who invented the radio Italian American? Marconi. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably. But I mean, Paolo Maldini. Is he? <laughs> he's, a, he's like one of their most famous footballers of all time. Oh, yeah, there you Roberto go. Celebrate Baggio. them. He had a ponytail. Oh, yeah, great. Celebrate like, them. So, yeah, celebrate the Italian yeah. uh, the Italian football players. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Whatever. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. go go get, get some soccer yeah, players. Yeah, let's have a parade Maldini on their Maldini did such class. Yeah, let's have a he parade was on also, I'm good with that. He was also a beautiful man. Yeah. Yeah, let's... Yeah, he's that. Still is. Like, he's still alive. Like <laughs> Paolo Maldini, I don't want people to think you're dead. You're still alive. Yeah, on his birthday, they can have a parade. Yeah, perfect. Sounds good. All right, Sarah. So, in conclusion, fuck Christopher Columbus. Yes. Fuck Christopher Columbus. Fuck Ferdinand and Isabella. If you ever go to the Church of Seville, enjoy La Giralda. Metaphorically and in your heart, spit on the graves of Ferdinand, Isabella, and Columbus. Actually, do it, people. Let's all get a bit of. It's got a good goblin going on. Um, Sarah, this next section of your podcast, which for some reason I've taken over again, which happens every fucking time I'm on the show, and every time I get a text message from at least one person going, "Hey, Ollie, you know you you start reading out the the things in order." I was like, "Yes, I know. I can't help it." Okay. Um. So this is Fabulanostra, where we come up with a different version of the movie or book or show, whatever it happens to be inspired by the name so um guess goes first which is me 
Um, even though I almost said which is Sarah, uh, because <laughs> I, I don't, even, I don't even have, dollar. I don't even have a podcast anymore. Like I don't, I don't actually have a podcast. This is your so podcast. And, this is your podcast no, in spirit. So I said this from day one, Sarah, if Decker, that it was not. I was merely helping out to get set up. Right. So I'm going to go with the 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 name Assassin's Creed. I'm going to keep it as Assassin's Creed, and I am going to turn it into a book right um because it's already a video game there's already a movie and the reason i'm going to turn into a book is when i was a kid i used to read a lot i've already mentioned david gemmel novels on this and uh he's the guy who did the robin hood one that has vampires and stuff in it and he does an excellent version of a retelling of the king arthur legend and called ghost king which involves like magic and all this sort of stuff right right? and it's interesting he's good um he one of his main heroes is a guy called just a legend Mm -hmm. and the first time i ever came across the word creed which wasn't in church when we were forced to read out the nicene creed every goddamn day oh you still read that that's nice and they changed the wording of it uh recently so sometimes older people um like myself yeah so we we still go through with the old one and it turns out that they've changed it's it's just like instead of saying and also with you like you say something else you don't need to get into this like it's just the call and response is slightly different right but trust the legend is one of David Gemmell's main heroes and he's been in like five books and one of the main things about Druss is he has a creed right and his creed I'm going to read it out it says uh, never violate a woman nor harm a child do not lie cheat or steal these things are for lesser men protect the weak against the evil strong and never allow thoughts of gain to lead you into the pursuit of evil right so that's Drust the Legends Creed, right? It's set in a medieval type thing, and the idea is that he is this gigantic warrior dude who has the DNA of killers in his blood because all of his ancestors had come from basically mm-hmm. great killers, Bardon mm-hmm. the Slayer, um, Breast the Axeman. These were all guys that came before him. Mm-hmm. And what had actually happened is his, his axe was... Uh, it, was, it had a demon in it, I believe, if I remember correctly, in the first Chronicles mm-hmm. of the Legend. And then he excised the demon. But because he was like a big, powerful dude, he followed this creed, which was to stop him from ever doing evil. And any time evil thoughts come into his head, he read out the creed. So every time I see creed written down, I go, oh, it's creed. It's be. <laughs> so now I want to write a story where there's the exact opposite of Druss, who is just a killer. Mm-hmm. And his creed is just do whatever you want. So mm. the books uh, or the movie and the games posit the assassins as uh, other men are, you know, held by their morals, but everything is permitted. That's the the Assassin's Creed. And I want to write a story where the Assassin's Creed allows you to get away with everything. And they do. Mm. Like they literally have zero morals. So it's an anti-hero story about a main character you can call him cal like it doesn't make a difference because i'm never going to write this right but the idea is just that the main character is following the assassin's creed which is do whatever you want Mm -hmm. and he's going to take it to the logical conclusion and he's just going to be the absolute worst human being Mm. in history right now as i'm reading this i realize i'm probably describing solomon kane <laughs> which is another movie stroke show that we, or you know, show or book series that we will probably cover on the Absolutely. podcast at some stage because uh, it's a cracking little movie but um yeah so i want to write a story called assassin's creed 
about a guy who takes the creed of do whatever you want and everything is permitted to his logical conclusion, which is you become an evil, evil dude yeah. and you're not the That's hero. You're not even the anti-hero in the series. You're literally a scumbag. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. I might even that call it Assassin's Creed, colon, this is what Columbus actually was. <laughs> oh, just have it. Yeah, Columbus is a friend of the assassins, but just an actually, he's like, friend the way of the you assassins. act. Yeah, that's how, that's how Columbus is a friend of the assassins. It's because he's just like, yeah, genocide's fine, right? Nobody ever said I can't commit genocide. No, nobody said I couldn't. <laughs> I'm going to give diseases to all of these people and watch them die without giving them any of the medicine we have to combat them. Everything is permitted. Scumbag. Yeah, everything is permitted. So yeah, so that's what I would do. Assassin's Creed, a story about a guy who quite literally becomes the most evil person. Mm. So I really just decided to start it by thinking about basically the ways in which I would fix this movie so it didn't make me angry. Just me personally. This is the longest paragraph I've ever seen, Sarah. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) It runs like two pages. What's going on? So you still have the assassins. And you still have this modern foundation that's doing the thing where they're genetically sending people back in time or whatever. We're getting rid of the Templar stuff. The Templars are... They haven't existed in 700 years. There's not a secret branch of the Templars somewhere. And honestly, the Templars weren't even as interesting as everybody thinks they are. They're like a bunch of bankers. So, you know, chill out. Instead, inspired by the link this film makes to the Inquisition... I think maybe it's some, you know, creepy organization within the Catholic Church that is, let's say, an offshoot of the Dominican Order, which is the actual order uh, that is most heavily associated with the Inquisition. So the Inquisition is uh, not technically a part of the Dominican Order, but that most of the, or that that I would say kind of disproportionate number of inquisitors are Dominicans. And the foundation of the Dominican order was very much so, uh, and was so the order could kind of preach against heresy, so it makes sense. But yeah, so the Dominican order, as I said, is actually the the order most heavily associated with the Inquisition, uh, with uh, preaching against heresy, and uh, with conversionary preaching, with with preaching actively at uh, attempting to for to push Jews or pressure Jews into convert into converting to Christianity. So in the medieval context, we'll have rhetoric that's actually talking about Christianization, about stamping out crypto-Judaism, about ending Islamic rule in the Iberian Peninsula, converting the remaining Jews and Muslims, you know, make Spain Christian again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, in their attitude. MSCA. Yeah. I can see the hats already. Yep. Um which is very much the ideology. I mean, so I, I very deliberately often don't use the term uh, reconquista, the term that literally means reconquest, because as I often tell my students, using the term reconquest implies that there's uh, this right that the people who are conquering have to the land. But at this point, especially if you're talking about by 1492, at that point, uh, the Iberian Peninsula had had parts of it at least under Islamic rule for close to 800 years. Uh, and so even if you go back to say when the, uh, the quote the Reconquista started or when it really kind of took off in the 11th century, at the late 11th century, already by then, it's an amount of time has passed that would be essentially equivalent to if we in the United States, uh, you know, all of a sudden the British came over and said, oh, we're reconquering America. Like we would think that was bullshit. Um, <laughs> And so that's why the term Vela Conquista is bullshit, but the idea that but that is the idea behind the term and the ideology that you have 
present at the time is that the Iberian Peninsula was Christian and now should be returned to Christendom and its Christian glory and all of that. So that's going to be very overtly what they're doing in the uh, in the medieval context and actually in the modern context too. They're going to be trying to say, oh, we really want to end religious discord. But what they actually mean is that they want to end religious discord by taking away people's free will and forcibly converting them all by mind control to Catholic Christianity. Using an apple. Yes. Well, actually, maybe in my movie, it's a banana. Uh, okay, yeah. Or a mushroom. <laughs> yeah, using, using the mushroom of Eden, the mind-controlled mushroom of Eden, <laughs> they're going to make everybody be, be Catholic. Sound, that sounds like something from Monty Python when you say it like that. <laughs> the mind-controlled mushroom of Eden. <laughs> it does. I'm also not going to have the even... This movie seems like it has moments, at least, where it wants to make the Marianne Cotillard character sympathetic. I'm not having that. I'm having her just basically she's <laughs> going to always be terrible. And it's like very, very clear that like always it's these people who essentially they just want to quote end religious discord and end into religious violence. But always what they mean by that, no matter what and where we're talking about, is that everybody just has to be turned, has to be forcibly made a Catholic Christian. This is why this movie is going to be protested by the Catholic Church. Um <laughs> And also, I'll probably never be made. Um, Down with this sort of thing. Careful now. That that's a that's something that only about eight of your listeners will get the reference to. I also am just going to say uh, I have one note on casting, which is that I am going to replace Michael Fassbender and his family with people who you could look at and not feel confused by the idea that you are claiming that they are of <laughs> Spanish descent. I know there are blonde people in Spain. I know, I know, I know some, but still. So I'm going to have Cal be played by Diego Luna, and his parents are going to be Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem. Yeah, okay. I can see that. Also, I'm going to maybe cut out the mother being killed and give her a little more to do. Oh, also, finally, I do just want to note, I forgot to note this before. Okay, because the If Decker test is really centered on medieval films, I'm going to make the argument that this movie does not pass the If Decker test because in the medieval section of the film, there's only one named woman and she is dead. But my movie will. No, my movie will. You can't, you can't, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. You can't just go in medieval set movie, oh, but we're only dealing with the medieval bits. Yes. Yes, I can. Because Marion Cotillard's character survives. It's my test. I can do whatever I want. And the High Lady Templar Lady survives. It's my test. I can do whatever I want. And the medieval segment of this movie does not pass the If Decker test. But it will in my movie. And also in my movie, the uh, I'm actually going to have, because my movie is not going to overtly erase a uh, non is not going to overtly erase Jews and Muslims. I'm going to have uh, maybe uh, maybe his character is uh, kind of the Cal Aguilar character. You know, he's uh, at least allegedly a Christian, but that the people, some of the people he's working with, are actually going to be overtly Jewish and Muslim. So actually, maybe uh, you know we'll keep Maria, but Maria is going to be somebody who you know Maria is her name that she had to take as a Christian, uh, but you know that she is a conversa and perhaps privately goes by Miriam. 
Oh, that sounds lovely. Um, can we can we keep Diego Luna's character called Callum Lynch? Yes. Just because. <laughs> Because I just, I'd love to see somebody who looks like Diego Luna, the beautiful young man that he is, actually answer to Callum yes. on stage. Yes. <laughs> Sarah, that sounds excellent. I would watch it. Um, and just like this movie, it would definitely pass the If Decker test. <laughs> you want to watch it, but you won't be able to watch it because it's going to be banned in Ireland. So you'll have to It will be banned America over here. We won't be able to get it. It will join the list of other banned movies and banned books. Um, I can't read Lolita. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah, sounds excellent. I would definitely watch it. Um, so final section is Estimadio, where uh, Sarah and the guest, which is me, um, give it a rating out of five. And I think this might be, might be the biggest difference between scores uh, that we've ever had while discussing movies other than jokey scores where Sarah like gives a minus one to a movie I give it like a two two or whatever um, or I give a six stars to something Sarah lied about and said that she didn't enjoy enough um, and gave it only like a four star or whatever it was she gave 13 more. I can't even remember My is not solely based on enjoyment it's based on whether I think this movie is historically and gender responsible just like 13 Warriors, clearly historically and gender responsible. But I am going to give this movie, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this because for years I was, I've never seen this until this week, and I was convinced that this was a bad movie, a terrible movie. It's Rotten Tomato scores like 18% or something like this. And I put it on the other day. Um, I think Sarah actually watched this before I did. Um, in fact, you did, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had been interested in watching it because we listened to Blank Check and one of the guys on Blank Check, the, their producer, Ben, loves it. And then the other two guys from Blank Check watched it and seemed happy with it and talked yeah. about it like it was trying stuff. And I went, all right, I'll give this a go. And I'll be honest with you, I thoroughly enjoyed this from start to finish. It's like... I can see all of the problems that there are with it. Like, it's not one of those things where I'm like, oh, Ollie is just blind to this because he likes it. Like, whereas I'm going to ignore the problems that are clearly evident in 13 Warrior because I just love that movie so much. But with this, I just think it's a legitimately good movie to watch. Like, historically, I, I 100% agree with everything Sarah's going to say about why she's taken marks off it. And I'm still going to say that's never been something that has affected me when it comes to me making my scores. And I hope that the people listening at home understand that, that all he's coming at this from, he's watching a movie. And as long as it, it keeps its own internal logic from start to finish, he's happy with it. Even if it doesn't, you know, hit the historical things and there's a little bit of science in this one. So it's up for me. So I am going to give this a four out of five. Wow. Um, which I think is probably a little bit too high. Even as I say it, I'm like, it really should be 3.75. But I, I'm gonna, I will say 4 out of 5. I, I legitimately enjoyed this movie. I even posted about it in a Facebook group I'm in earlier saying, guys, this movie's actually good. <laughs> um, so yeah, like it's bad, but it's good. Not in a good, bad way like certain other podcasts really don't make sense. It's good because I enjoyed it. And I think if you give it a, a watch, you might enjoy it too. But 100%, I also agree with everything Sarah's about to say now. I will start by saying, 
genuinely, I think this movie has a lot that's really entertaining. And genuinely, I agree, actually, with some of the comments that they were making on Blank Check about the fact that this movie has some interesting ideas and concepts and is trying to do things that are interesting. I mean, that's why I actually kept in my imaginary movie the idea of, uh, you know, this like animus machine and this like genetic time travel kind of thing. Like, I think that's fascinating. I think that this movie has really interesting things about it. I just cannot get past the (laughs) historical issues in part just because I... I just, <laughs> I, I'm just so angry I can't even speak. <laughs> Having to say, the Inquisition has brought Spain under Templar rule. It just makes me angry. It makes me so angry. Fi- no, Sarah, Sarah, finally. Finally. Finally, the Inquisition brought has brought Spain under Templar rule. It's been a 400-year process. Every part of that sentence just makes me furious. Every single part of it. I'm just angry and I am angry watching this movie at the complete erasure of Jews. And I would argue erasure of Muslims as well. They never use the word Muslim. They have like a guy named Muhammad, which is, you know, the name of the Muslim Amir of Granada, but like, they don't use the word Muslim. Like they, like they refer to religious discord, but like, what do you mean religious discord? You don't have any other religions. The only other religion is the Assassin's Creed. The two religions in this are Templar <laughs> and, and Assassin. Like, what? And so, and because, like, there are actual, like, human people who were, like, <laughs> harassed and murdered by the institution of the Inquisition and, uh, and at the wishes of Ferdinand and Isabella and that they get erased from the movie and that also not to mention all the people Columbus murdered, they get erased from the movie when we, and you know, we're like, oh, Columbus is fucking hero. I'm just so angry. I'm just so angry. <laughs> so I'm actually even going to go down from what I was initially thinking before. I'm going to a 1.5. <laughs> um, did you say four? 1.5. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Movie's getting 1.5. I was hoping to trick you into saying it and then I just like layer it over the top. But I might go back and find um a four somewhere. Else, <laughs> like in like a different episode where I give something I a four. In. I'm actually going to go down from my original thing. Four out of five. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, look, I totally understand. Um even even your two, even this one point five, I one hundred percent get it. Like as you were watching it, you were sending me text messages at the same time. Because usually when when I'm going to do an episode, myself and Sarah watch them at the same time and text, but just it didn't work out this time. And because uh, I'd never seen it, someone had text Sarah was sent me. I was like, going, this is going to be fucking terrible." And then I said, "I was pleasantly surprised to watch it and go, well, that doesn't really make a difference to me.' But I totally get where you're coming from about why it would." Right just it must have infuriated you it, it's one of the few times where i see a lot of the f-bomb getting dropped in text messages between the two of us when we're not talking about people we both know and, and okay also just by the way in terms of like me being personally offended by this movie i actually also would like to say so you know i mean the knights templar you know they're they're a military order they certainly have you know blood on their hands i you know i'm not saying the templars are you know unequivocally great or anything but they also are victims of the Catholic Church. King Philip IV of, uh, of France, because the Templars owed him money, 
Uh, and like the and like then in collusion with the papacy, like they accused these people falsely of heresy and murdered most of them. So I'm also like offended that there are these other people who are also victims of the medieval church who are now being like presented as like the source of all evil. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, uh, they did lead to the events of Kingdom of Heaven too. So. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, I'm actually not saying don't watch this movie. <laughs> I think that especially <laughs> if you're not me, you might have a good time watching this movie. Um, but I hope you'll remember <laughs> to think about the people, yeah. the real people whose murders are erased by this film. <laughs> now I feel bad for enjoying my time with the movie, Sarah. I take it back, guys. My official score is 1.5 out of... <laughs> 1.5 out of 5 as well for uh, erasing history. <laughs> and I will say the reason, you know, it gets a 1.5 because it is a genuinely entertaining watch. It would get lower if it wasn't. Yeah. No, I, I again, I, I totally, like, I'm joking here. As soon as I was watching it, or as I was watching it, I was there going, I knew we were going to be separated on our scores. And, uh, Which is fine. I, Again, one hundred percent agree with everything you're saying. It's not a problem. I mean, I'm I'm still angrier that you didn't give uh Thirteen Warrior five of the five. Um, you know, I just what? want to point out Thirteen Thirteen Warrior, a movie that Sarah teaches in her college. But you know what, Ali, <laughs> Ali, I will say, Thirteenth yeah. Warrior. Every time I rewatch it, and I've actually rewatched it multiple times because I have taught it. Every time I'm like, you know, of what there's out there, this is one of the better ones. And I genuinely enjoy when I have to rewatch it. And I enjoy teaching and talking to my students about it and about Viking spitballs. Oh, God, don't eat. Oh, that's the the (laughs) bit you always remind me of. (laughs) Anyway. I always make uh, my students talk about the spitballs. (laughs) Stop, Sarah. It's disgusting. (laughs) So I'm I'm going to take back over my own podcast now. So, Ollie, thank you for guest hosting for talk talking over you guest hosting. <laughs> are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet no they're not you cannot find me however you're a ghost recently as a project with some kids at school uh i i showed them how to make a podcast and i started a podcast with them um which is currently only available at soundcloud i probably will get them to release it as an actual product podcast that you can get on like itunes and podcast podcast addict at some stuff some stage but if you want to see what it's like to be a 40 year old physics teacher getting verbally abused by three 16 year old (laughs) girls uh look up defend your flicks on um, SoundCloud so it's based on Netflix and we watch something which is available on Netflix because everybody has Netflix really and it's we, we all pick something that we are interested in so we watched Mamma Mia and I was nice about what the girls liked we watched um, we're not Outer Banks and we're nice about what the girls liked we watched what was the other thing I can't even remember what the third one we watched before oh we watched no, it's gone from my head. I'm, I'm I'm sorry, Rebecca. It was your choice, but I've forgotten what it was we watched for that. Um, and then we watched Love and Monsters, which was my pick, which I thought was an excellent movie. And the three girls quite literally ripped me to shreds for liking <laughs> that movie. 
And I still think that if you watch it, it's an enjoyable movie. But at one girl said, it's so bad, you should feel bad. So, yeah. Um, Good for defend, them. Defend your flicks, it's called. Um, so, if you want to watch... Oh, Enola Holmes was the one we watched with uh, for Rebecca. Um, oh, yeah. I knew... I I couldn't remember why I forgot it, because I watched that with Sarah. So... Yeah. Um, oh, God, yeah, good times. I'm a girl, but not like other girls. I'm better, because I'm like a boy. Um But, yeah. But I uh, said, defend your flicks. Just, it's basically the four of them uh, just slagging me off. Apparently, wearing check shirts is... Mr. Brady, that's like 10 years out of date. Thanks. I'm happy. I'm happy to be within 15 years of in date. I love that you're just getting savaged by these girls, by these young women. Good for them. Tell them I'm on their side. You've listened to... Yeah, Sarah's on their side. Uh And I I know Sarah's listened to at least one episode. Yeah. I listened to the Mamma Mia episode. It's just... They're they're just so mean to me. It's very charming and they're absolutely right. Yeah, that's true. And they love... (laughs) They, the stuff that they like, they love. Like they yeah. go to bat for it and yeah. will not hear any criticism of it. It's it's kind of funny, like. But anyway, that's it. Defend your flicks. Give it a listen sometime. If, and if you don't, it's not a big deal. It's fine. The the girls the girls would be happy to know that strangers will listen. Yeah, it's very charming. You should listen. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. And I will read new five star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at MediaEvilPod and join the Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Jecker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Ollie, thank you again for joining me to talk about this movie, which I have now Ruled. watched and will never forget. Sarah, I have a request. Yes. Um, so we're about to go, whatever. Uh, I would like to come back. Okay. And the movie I would like to cover is called The Eagle. Okay. Starring Channing Tatum and Jamie Bell. And it's because it features a long section of them speaking Irish. Ooh. And I think that might be my chance to, <laughs> to outperform you. It's true. In a, I... a foreign language. You absolutely could. Um. Yeah, it's a little early, but we could pull it off. I don't think you've ever seen it, have you? No, I haven't. And yeah, second century CE is yeah, a little little before my period, but I can, I've, I've done a Jesus movie. I could do that. I, I think we can pull it off. Okay, yeah. perfect. So guys listening, I'll be back at some stage to forget that I'm not the host and start introducing <laughs> the segments again. I encourage it because then you can sing because I'm sure as hell not singing. <laughs> Well, it's yeah, yeah. You can sing, Ollie. Is um, is a very poor description of what I do. But anyway, Sarah, it's absolutely always a pleasure. I love listening when I'm not on, and I love coming on as a guest when I am. So thanks a million for running the podcast and doing the podcast and letting us all learn a little bit of history from you. Thank you. I'm always delighted to have you back on, and thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye.